tonight. Coming up on the show, also Doc Herbert, Platinum Sombrero Podcast will join us. Game six tonight. Braves with a chance to win it behind the arm of Max Freed if they can get a dub here this evening. And coming up in just a little bit, we'll chat with the big guy, Frank Solkowski, WJCL, and uh, Georgia Southern Radio Network. A lot of reports out there that Georgia Southern are very close to uh, hiring Clay Helton, former Southern Cal head football coach. We'll get the very latest on that coming up in just a little bit. So, so much to get to with college football, uh, with, the, with the playoffs, Georgia Southern possibly with a new coach, and, of course, Game 6, Braves trying to finish one out for the first time in 25 years uh, and win a World Series ring. And I know, BJ, uh, Ben and I talked yesterday, you know, everybody was playing the, well, would have loved to close it out at home. I, I would just love to close it out, period. If it means you got to do it, Houston, that that's where you got to do it. But still confident in this team, uh, playing really well. Uh, if you kind of go by the what's the game plan uh, type situation, BJ and Ben, you would say, we want to win one of two in Houston. You did it. You come home, yeah, it'd be nice to, to get a sweep, but it's the World Series. Take two out of three, hold serve at home, win one in Houston, and you're World Series champions. That's still out in front of the Braves here at this point. Absolutely, and and I do think the first couple of innings here tonight, I've said this time and time again, are going to be important. And, and, and Ben, you've talked to me about how in a series, sometimes momentum resets itself, right, where – what happened in game five doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on game six, but I go back to early in game five. Okay. You were one, you still are, but of course you were one win away from a world series championship. You had a grand slam in the first inning. And then uh, looking back in the game prior to where you were in game five, you had basically no hit Houston. So all of the momentum was on your side. You were right there and you felt like, after Duval's Grand Slam, that you were kind of uh, not not going to be able to put it on cruise control, but you were going to be able to manage this to a World Series win at home and give Houston credit. They rallied and outscored you nine to one from that point on. Uh, so I, I, I think Atlanta can bounce back. That's one thing we've learned about this Braves team all season is they're not going to let you know a, a, a bad loss. They're not going to let a missed opportunity prevent them from reaching their goals. But I think the first couple of innings set the tone for what we're going to see. If Houston comes out at home after what happened in game five and gives you a couple early and you're getting uh, proficient performances from on the mound, I think that's tough. And I think confidence is going to be key for Max Freed tonight. You know, Max has not been great in his last three postseason outings, was not good uh, uh, against Houston the first time out. So from the standpoint of kind of changing the storylines and the energy around the series – to Max Freed being the Max Freed we all know, to kind of taking that 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 home field advantage advantage away. I think been the first couple of innings tonight. Obviously, it's a game six in the World Series, but I think the first couple of innings tonight are going to be critically important. Max Freed, BJ, and Kevin is is, is experiencing something that this bullpen had to deal with throughout the course of the year, and that's and he got to go out there and earn his key, BJ. It doesn't matter what he's done up to this point. Can you do it now? And one thing that's not, I think it's not talked about enough when you talk about the sports, it takes time to do anything worth having when you talk about sports. I mean, this Braves team, I mean, since Snit and Alex Anthopoulos has been there, they've been working to this point. They are way ahead of schedule. Somebody would have told you, hey, what do you think the Braves are going to be in four years? 
Oh, they're gonna be in there. They're gonna be up three to two against the Astros. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw that. Oh, and Ronald Acuna Jr. is not gonna be there. Mike Soroka's not gonna be there. They're gonna be have acquired Marcelo Zuna in the offseason, and he won't be there. And newcomers like Soler and those guys, you know, and Eddie Rosario. It's like they're writing their own script. But give the Astros a lot of credit. The Astros are trying to prove that they don't need they don't need to cheat to win. So that's on the that's in the back of their minds as well. But it takes time to get to this point. The Braves exercised some demons in the NLCS because they went up 3-1 again, and then all of a sudden, here it comes again. Oh, here come the Dodgers again. But the Braves have seen this before. Never seen it, never seen this Astros team. But, BJ, the confidence comes in. You've already won in Houston, but you got to do it again. The thing, about, the thing about sports that you can't appreciate is it's, all about, it's, all, it's always about updating your resume, you know, in the current moment. What you've done is, is, is noteworthy, but it ain't good enough. So, match free. He's gonna have hopefully have an off have a you know have a lineup that's gonna that's gonna help him. And Houston has a never say die attitude. I mean, you talk about grand slams, grand slams in the first inning. Oh, here come the Braves. No, here come Houston. They seem to play better when they when they backs are against the wall. But if you are if you are the Braves, keep applying pressure to Houston. Like I know that you got quote got a cushion. I don't like cushions. The reason why I don't like Cushions is because you don't play with that same sense of urgency when, you know, you don't have that next game. This, this should be all or nothing when it comes to these Braves, and I give this Houston team a lot of credit. Most teams would have already lost by now, but Houston is saying, look, we are a usual suspect when it comes to this position. The Braves haven't been here in a while, but I, I, still, give, I still give a lot of uh, credit to this Braves team because I think they built for this. Up, ebbs and flows in the World Series are supposed to happen. You're supposed to have some good games, some bad games, some good moments, some bad moments. But I think no matter what, you're still up 3-2. Still got a shot to, to do something that hasn't been done in a long time, Kevin. And, and it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be all on Max Fried. He's, never, he's not going to pitch the entire game. His goal is to, is to put this team in a position to still have a chance to win when indeed he does go to that bullpen. But I just think that this lineup, Freddie Free, where you at? I know that Freddie Free has been okay is this Kevin? Is this setting up a game two? I know we make it all about the pitching, right? But this, but the way they've been lighting up these scoreboards, I mean, it really ain't been all about the pitching. So is this a game, Kevin, for maybe Freddie Free to say, "All right, I know I haven't signed my my new contract yet. I know I am Mister Consistency for this Braves team. Can I go out there and play my best game on the biggest stage on in the biggest game of my life?" Yeah, look, and this is as been said. This is where. You hate to go to this cliche, but big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. And this is Max Fried, who you've kind of – and again, maybe you could debate, well, we thought it would be Mike Soroka. Or, well, okay, but Mike Soroka's been here all year. Max Fried is the guy. Charlie Morton was brought in to be the guy with the postseason experience and the experience. Max Fried, though, is the guy you look to and say, you're our guy. You're our top-of-the-rotation guy. You need a top-of-the-rotation performance tonight. And again – People say, oh, we need him to pitch like John Smoltz and Tom Glavin back in the day. Well, nope. Unfortunately, the definition and the role of a starter has changed since the last 25 years took place in Atlanta. A top-notch performance from your ace simply means get us through the fifth, maybe the sixth inning in a postseason game, and we'll turn it over to our bullpen. Six would be a luxury. Five is really what we're hoping for. So Max Reed needs to be good for five innings tonight. If he could do that, and hand it over to what everybody's dubbed the night shift. That might be good enough to uh, to go out there and get it done, BJ. And, and again, I have confidence in this Braves team 
They can score runs. Uh, again, I don't get the Braves fans who got the wishy-washy, oh, it's the Atlanta sports thing. No, if the Braves don't get this done, it has nothing to do with Atlanta sports. As to the fact that they were outplayed, right? Uh, look, you got a grand slam in the first inning. A lot of people said, oh, it's over. I said, look, you still need to push it and get to that bullpen uh, as soon as you can, the back end, so you can finish it up. They weren't able to do that, and the Astros took advantage. So uh, I look for Max Fried to come out tonight and have a, a good performance. And, again, if he can get you uh, into the, the sixth inning where it sets up, and again, this is Brian Snicker, you know, perfect scenario world, get me to the sixth inning and let me turn it over to the guys I trust the most, and we feel like we can walk it in. I don't mean it's the case, but but we can walk it in A, B, C, D with our bullpen to a World Series championship. And again, I feel like the Braves, they've proven they can hit Astros pitching, are good enough to go out there and, and get the job done. Do I expect some changes tonight? Yes. I do, I do not expect Ozzie Albies at the top of the lineup. I imagine he'll be moved down out of that three spot and some other guys will be moved up simply because he's not producing. But everybody else, by and large, is, is producing uh, at the plate. I, I think we mentioned it yesterday, BJ, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but so far in this series, of the guys that play, and I'll put Jock Peterson in there uh, because in the in the rotation, and he'll play tonight because of the DH. But everybody in this Braves lineup, except for Albies, Jock Peterson, and I think Austin Riley, everybody else has hit a homer in this World Series. So this is this is a team that's hitting the ball and hitting the ball well. Yeah, and I I, I do think maybe a a slight lineup change or two, but for the most part, to go back to your original point. I think a lot of what we see tonight comes down to Max Fried, and that's a lot of pressure, but when you're the number one guy, that's kind of how it goes in the World Series. And when Charlie Morton unfortunately went down, that only made the spotlight on on Max Fried even more magnified. But I wonder what his confidence level's at right now, because if you look at at, at his overall postseason uh, performance, it's, it, it's been pretty good, okay. But here in the World Series a couple of games ago, uh, went five innings against the Astros, gave up seven hits and six earned runs. That's not what you expect from Max Freed. And his last three playoff starts, now granted, these are against elite teams, but Houston and L.A. twice, he's gone 15 and two-third innings, uh, allowed 23 hits and 13 earned runs. So last couple of times out has not been sharp. Now, Kevin, you mentioned in the show meeting, and I agree, I don't think all of those outings were just constantly getting – you know, getting beaten and, and, you know, giving up the long ball. I think there were stretches where you let it get away from you. And then Max Free was able to settle in and, and control his stuff. But he is squarely in the spotlight. The Braves need him in a big way. You talked about if he could get it to the night shift, that would be a dream scenario. But where do you think his confidence is, guys? I mean, given that the last couple of times out, he has not, not been great. Well, Ben, I won't, I'll let you answer this last because I will say this. If his confidence isn't high – then he's not my ace, right? I mean, the, the top players, Michael Jordan may have, I mean, believe it or not, Michael Jordan has got dunked on in his career. LeBron James has been dunked on in his career. Kobe got dunked on. What's the difference? They don't, they never step out on the court and say, oh, what if I get dunked on? No, I got my A game. You have to beat me, not the other way around. Uh, and so I think if Max Fried isn't 100% confident, that's, he's not your ace. I want my ace. I don't care if he just gave up 30 runs the last outing. He walks out on the mound. Max Scherzer does. Max Scherzer may have gotten drilled last time. Max Scherzer walks on the mound and goes, you have to beat me, 
not the other. I don't have to beat you. You have to beat me. And that's how I want Max Free taking the mound tonight. I, I just wanted to throw that out there from my end. I know Ben probably has a different scenario now, being a former athlete, but no, no, if, no, as no. a fan, that's how I want my guy doing. No, 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 no. But think about this. I mean, I mean, BJ, think about this. If somebody, I mean, obviously it's going to be, you know, a 30 for 30, 20 years from now. They're going to say, man, when the Braves made it back to the World Series, who was the ace uh, in game six to, to win the World Series? Was it Mike Fodnavich? No. Was it Mike Soroka? No. Was it Julio Tehran? No. It was Max Freed. Yes. Because to me, Max Freed has done something that is the hardest thing to do in sports. He has gained the trust. Regardless of what you have done, we know who you really are, Max. And maybe you've been outside of yourself. Like, you haven't been yourself. BJ, when you read those numbers, you were just a shock. Like, Max, when did this happen? Think about this. We look at Max Freed. What Max Freed has done is what we thought Will, Will Smith would, be, would, would have been doing at this point. Nope. And to me, that's what, that's what you earn over time. Snit said, look, man, if I got one game, give me free. Yeah, but he, I don't care what – give me free. That is the hardest thing to earn is the trust, you know, uh, you know, of your team, of your manager, regardless of what you haven't shown because we know who you really are. Now, if you've never shown it, I don't think they're going to pick, you know, game six for you to show it. But like Kevin just said, man, all that goes away. No one's going to remember none of that if you handle your business tonight. And that's why I say update your resume today, you know, uh, Freed, and I and I do agree, Kevin. I mean, look, man, just because I've gotten, just because I've been the, you know, I've been the nail and the hammer. I've I've, I've had good plays and bad plays, but man, I want to be in this thing though, because win or lose, I want to be a part of both of them. Hopefully, the winning side. So yeah, I think Max Free BJ should be very very confident, because like I said, he's he's one of the teams left standing. And he's the guy running out there. So I know they're going to make it seem like it's war is me, Kevin. But I, if Max Free go out there and ball, look at what that's going to do. And I like what you said. No, you got to beat me. What, what's, what, I, can't, I can never, ever think of the movie, man. Uh, when the guy could turn all blue, uh, he could turn all blue and blow stuff up. It was a, ah, I can never, ever think. Of, I, I'll, 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 get it in, I'll get it in the next break. But the guy was in jail, and he put a whole bunch of people in jail. It was because of him. And somebody said, hey, remember, you were here with us. He started fighting. He said, no, remember. You in here with me. And to me, that's what Max Freed should look at as, man, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Most guys will never even sniff the World Series, let alone the playoffs. Max Freed, go out there and have yourself a day. And we'll see what he does tonight when he takes the bump in the uh, the bottom of inning number one. A lot to get to here on the show. We'll certainly talk more about Game 6 uh, coming up tonight. Some, uh, some breaking news out there around the world of college football uh, in the last little bit. It is expected now that Georgia Southern could have an announcement this afternoon uh, that Clay Helton's going to be the next head football coach. We'll talk to the big guy, Frank Solkowski, WJCL, and the Georgia Southern Sports Network of, about that when we come back here on this Tuesday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are expecting some uh, potential breaking, well, breaking news a little bit later this afternoon from Georgia Southern. They expected to name... Clay Helton as the next football coach, uh, according to our next guest, Dundeal, from WJCL and the Georgia Southern Sports Network, the big guy, Frank Sokowski, uh, joining us here. So, Clay Helton, Dundeal, Frank, expecting uh, an announcement from, from Jared Binko and company, what, uh, possibly uh, this afternoon? Yeah, it, it's a done deal. Uh, it has been approved by the board. All my sources telling me that, that it is a done deal. Next will be an official release from the university. And then uh, we are hearing that uh, he could be formally introduced, a uh, press conference uh, coming up later this week, hearing it could be as early as Thursday uh, before uh, Clay Helton is in Statesboro for his introductory press conference. 
And big news, obviously, Frank. Uh, was was the expectation that that this was going to happen this soon? Is this uh, uh, news today? Kind of the timeline that behind the scenes, I guess, a lot of people anticipated when the coaching change was first announced. Yeah, I think uh, this thing was going to be sped up. Uh, what we did learn from Jared Benko was this was going to be a more private uh, uh, process uh, where you weren't going to get names being leaked. You weren't going to hear a lot of the, about the candidates. It was going to be behind the scenes, and they really kept it close to, to, to the chest there. And, and they really, it was a really well-done uh, search process where uh, a lot of the uh, leaks didn't come out. Uh, it wasn't until really today uh, that we got word that, that Helton was, you know, was pinpointed for it, and, and that was going to be the move. Uh, and, again, I think what you saw was they really wanted to expedite this hiring uh, to try to get on the recruiting trail. Helton will start immediately, which means he can be in Statesboro. He can oversee, you know, he can watch practices. He won't necessarily oversee it. He's going to try to be limited in his role there during practice, but he can go ahead and start evaluating guys. He can evaluate coaching staff. Uh, he can get out and recruit and, and be the face, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, so this was a really big move was to go ahead and get someone hired, get somebody in place before that early December signing period. And, Frank, obviously we know about the uh, the Southern or, you know, a regional uh, appeal of a Georgia Southern. What does this do for the national appeal of Georgia Southern with getting a big name like this? I tell you what, you, you want to get headlines. Right now the headlines Georgia Southern they're getting uh, in, the, in, the, in the southeast is, you know, they fired a coach. They're, they, they're not winning. Their, their offense isn't very productive. Uh, they, you know, they, they got two wins and they got two nationally ranked teams coming to Statesboro and kind of a fall from grace, a really negative uh, headlines. Uh, this, you get a guy who, you know, from all intensive purposes, highly respected from former players and coworkers, say he's one of the nice guys, you know, in the business. Uh, you get a guy who's, you know, who's won at the Rose Bowl, a guy who has been in the top ten nationally, a guy who has coached an FBS program, one of the most visible programs in the country and one of the biggest markets in the country uh you know so it checks a lot of boxes i mean you don't really want to bring in and i don't think they wanted to bring in an assistant coach that they had to kind of teach and and and, and learn to become a head coach you got a guy who's been a head coach and been a head coach at the highest level uh, and then you take a guy who you know is coming from la to statesboro it kind of has that doc hollywood that movie feel of somebody leaving the big city for the country where it is going to be a far cry moving from L.A. to Statesboro, Georgia, in every facet. Uh, but again, you're talking about a guy who you know does have roots in Florida and the Gainesville area. Uh, he, he knows the Southeast, coached at Duke as well. Uh, so a guy who you know has already some recruiting ties to the Southeast. Where I, I don't think this is as far as a, of a stretch as some people are making it out to be. And, and Frank, this is a uh, a guy. When you talk about the importance of this hire, this is a guy that's coming in. Obviously, the Sun Belt is trying to raise its profile uh, as a conference uh, as well. But you're also adding four more schools in the not too distant future. That's uh, you know with some pedigree: Marshall, uh, Southern Miss, James Madison's been a big FCS power. So you need a guy that can compete with some of that and continue to push Georgia Southern at the forefront of what a lot of folks hope will become the the top G five. Uh, conference out there in the country yeah and you start looking at it and there's going to be a reshaping of that sunbelt east division uh you know you're going to see troy probably move out going to the west 
So you're going to see Old Dominion, and you're going to see Marshall uh, moving in uh, to that, and even James Madison moving into that East Division, where now you look at it, you got Georgia Southern, you got Coastal Carolina, you got Appalachian State, you got Marshall. I mean, it's a pretty tough uh, division that you're going to have to go through, and you're getting a guy in Helton who's battle-tested, who you know comes from out west, he's played in the big games, and, you know, there's been some negativity I see on social media where, well, he, you know, he lost at USC. Well, actually, no, he had a winning record at USC. Uh, he was the interim coach twice and then took over as head coach. Yes, uh, you know, when you're dealing with the highest of profile, uh, you know, programs in the country, and USC, I think as far as the brand goes, I definitely think it's in that top ten as far as the brand nationally. And, uh, yeah, it may not be up to their standards, uh, but let's be, let's, let's be honest. There are people in Tuscaloosa who, you know, Alabama's not living up to their expectations because they lost to Texas A&M. College football fans are a passionate, loud bunch. Uh, And and it seems like no matter what you do, there's going to be, you know, a lot of naysayers. And I think that's what you're going to see. Not everybody's going to think this is peaches and cream in Statesboro. Uh, They're going to think, oh, this was not the right hire, should have went somewhere else. Uh, again, what you're looking at is you're looking at you know the, the Sun Belt becoming the top Group of Five program in the country. Uh, you have other coaches. You look at like Terry Bowden and stuff. These guys are coming into the league. It's been elevated. Georgia Southern wants to get back in that conversation where I think they feel like uh, they're they're kind of getting left behind a little bit when you start seeing Coastal Carolina being nationally ranked and Louisiana being nationally ranked, Appalachian State. Georgia Southern feels they should be there, and they may have been there if it wasn't for uh, a couple questionable hires uh, several years back. But you know what? The bell's been rung. All you can do is move forward at this point. And, Frank, you said on Twitter, hey, look, Georgia Southern doesn't and has not run the triple option in a long time. That's always going to be a talking point. What do you think – I know we're, of course, very early in this, but what do you think the Helton hire says about the offenses we'll see in Statesboro? I think it's just going to evolve, and I, and I think that's what you, you, you hope for. Listen, the days of Georgia Southern going under center running that, that triple option – uh, I, I, those days are gone. I mean, they're, they're just they're just not there anymore. And again, uh, folks say Georgia Southern's triple option. Op- Georgia Southern has run a, a really a triple option or a variation of that since uh, Jeff Munkin left. You know, back uh, several years ago. Uh, so if if you watch what Georgia Southern has done, they went a little bit, tried to do a little bit of the air raid, then they evolved into the uh, you know shotgun option type thing and. You know, the way of the world is you get these athletes. There are so many athletes ready to play college football that there's so much talent out there. You're looking for versatile guys who who can make plays and hard-hitting defenses, and that's what you want. And there's enough of those players to go around. I think what this does is this opens up Georgia Southern to the possibility of getting more of those guys uh, that the game, the schemes, uh, fit their talents a little bit more. So I, I, I do think you're going to see evolution. I do think you're going to see a more balanced offense. Uh, you know, I think you're, you're going to continue to see uh, value put on very athletic quarterbacks. Uh, we've seen the RPO. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a version of little options. I think all of that needs to be in your offensive playbook, in your repertoire, uh, to succeed anymore. We see it week in and week out, whether it's with Georgia or, or Alabama or Oklahoma. Uh, you know, this is what everybody's kind of doing, and you got to score points. you gotta, you got to make stops to be, to be competitive, whether it's in the Sun Belt Conference or the SEC, 
And, and right now, Georgia Southern wasn't doing either. This dude, for you know, when you think about this coaching carousel, a lot of big name coaches. I mean, obviously, uh, nobody thought that Georgia Southern would get the first uh, big name coach. But you talk about recruiting and you talk about this offense. How much? How many more stakes do you think, uh, or how far west do you think this Georgia Southern team could potentially go when you talk about potentially changing up this offense? You know, I think again, it's going to open up so many possibilities, and then the transfer portal on top of that is really going to open up things as well. My, the thing I'm most interested in is you're going to get him in here. You're going to get Clay Helton in. He's going to be able to evaluate the current talent that you have. And, and there are certain positions that, that I'm going to be interested to see how he goes. Will, will the offensive linemen continue to get bigger, faster, stronger? Uh, what type of players are you looking for to, for the defense where, you know, Southern had gone through a, a system where they wanted those long, uh, long, you know, guys who, who may not necessarily be huge, but they're long and fast. Uh, are, are we going to continue going with that? Uh, you know, again, the big thing is there's so much talent out there across the board uh, that, that you, you want piece of that pie. And there's enough athletes, especially in the state of Georgia uh, and, and, and in the southeast as a whole, that there are strong players. And someone's gotten them. It's, it's just getting even more of them. As we see what, what really good recruiting can do, uh, Georgia, we're seeing it firsthand this season, uh, just how big and how important recruiting is where – it's paying off dividends. So I, I think, you know, the other thing this will do is you take that option off the table, and I think you'll start seeing more, you know, bigger games at Paulson Stadium, whether it's, you know, those non-conference games. That was one of the big things that, that kind of scared folks away and really wouldn't seal deals was, you know, uh, a lot of these teams didn't want to take on a, somebody with a triple option in the middle of the season because that's a whole other, you know, 360 to prepare for. Uh, you know, I think it's going to you're going to start seeing it's going to be a little bit easier to schedule home and homes or or get different teams to come in here because uh, you know you're you're running a, a, a simpler offense to prepare for, I should say, uh, than than what we've seen you know option wise. And that's another thing. If you're a defensive player and you come to a school that runs a, a, an option attack, even going back to the triple option, that's a lot to be beat on day in and day out at practice, where you know having to fend off the the low blocks and, and deal with that. So. It's it's going to be a, a, a rebirth of sorts. Uh, I, I just hope and, and I expect Clay Helton to continue to to live up and honor the, a lot of the traditions that are already here and just build off of it. And for this guy, let's be honest. Here's what it is: he can come to a group of five, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a G5 program in a in a one of the top conferences in the group of five at the Sun Belt and really reestablish himself. As a very good football coach, again, he won more than he lost at USC, but he was under a microscope there. Here he's not going to be critiqued quite as much, and he can quietly build that resume, which he could very easily, you know, five to ten years from now, be right in the ACC or, or another Power Five conference somewhere in the country. The big guy, Frank Sokowski, our guest here on 3 and Out. Frank, always a pleasure. All right, gentlemen, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And, again, Clay Helton coming in to Southern Cal. And I uh, appreciate, Frank, Georgia Southern Radio Network, WJCL-TV uh, joining us here and could have that announcement from the school possibly today, BJ and Ben. Uh, we'll see at least a statement released uh, about that and could see Clay Helton later this week uh, there in Statesboro. As he said, could start immediately, uh, not necessarily as the head coach calling plays and installing, but at least – learning the staff or learning the players getting out there probably more importantly and recruiting to uh to statesboro here 
before you get to that early signing period, which is now a month and a half away. We've got more. We'll react to that. Get your phone calls. as more. 912-342-7184. Your reactions to Clay Helton coming to Statesboro. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Clay Helton. And according to our last guest, Frank Solkowski, a done deal. Clay Helton coming to Georgia Southern could get a release from the university maybe this afternoon. So we'll wait that. But a done deal. Clay Helton, former Southern Cowhead football coach, coming to Statesboro. BJ, I'll let you guys. Uh, obviously, we knew this was rumored and speculated. And then we got the confirmation, hey, it's going to be a done deal. But Clay Helton coming to the Sun Belt, where, again, you do have some coaches with some high profiles in there, adding to that Georgia Southern legacy. What's your thoughts, initial thoughts on that hire? I think it's a statement hire. I think it's one that, that has the attention of, of all of college football. Uh, you talk about Clay Helton being at SC, being at Southern Cal, uh, in, in, in his total tenure at Southern Cal, went 46-24. and 24. Uh, so you're talking about an impressive overall record. Uh, SC won the Pac-12 as recently as 2017. And that season they went on and won the Rose Bowl. Uh, with with uh, Clay Helton, the Trojans won three Pac-12 South championships. They were regulars in the national polls. Uh, Clay Helton's still a pretty young guy, you know, 49 years old. And I think this is a hire that uh, is a home run, is a statement hire, you know, gets the attention of – fans all around college football you know clay helton maybe he should have been given more time at sc maybe it was time to move on however you feel about what happened at sc he's a national name and he's been the head coach very recently of one of the most prominent you know historically relevant programs in american sports southern cal football and he has had or did have that program competing at least for stretches on a national level uh, you mentioned that and, and Frank was talking about that he, you know, known as a, a player's coach and, you know, well-respected around college football. A lot of the tweets you're seeing on social media are echoing those sentiments or saying just that. Uh, I think this is a head coach who will walk into just about any living room in the country and you'll know who he is. Uh, again, was what, five and one uh, at one point two years ago, a coach that has been part of the national conversation. Uh, ben, I know you like him. Born in Gainesville, Florida was Coach Helton, but uh, has been at Duke. I believe played part of his college career at Auburn, has been at Memphis, so does have some familiarity with the South. But I think this is a national statement. I think Clay Helton comes to uh, Statesboro with uh, national credibility and a reputation that, as you said, only adds – to the Sunbelt Conference, the, the, the momentum the league has, uh, the reputation that's growing that the league has. Georgia Southern just made, a, uh, just made national headlines on a Tuesday afternoon, and I think there should be a lot of optimism and excitement around this hire. Give Jarabinko a lot of credit because Jarabinko isn't operating as as if you know he's in a G five conference. He's operating as if I'm a big time I'm a big time uh, you know athletic writer at a big time program. That's what you're supposed to go out there and do because we never we forget the fact Kevin and BJ how much pressure is on these ads. Like look man, go out there and show what what Georgia Southern is for those who, for those who didn't know. For those who thought that Georgia Southern had lost its luster as being a big time brand, well you better look again because nobody nobody thought. The Helton would end up in in, uh, in Gainesville. I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, in Georgia, in uh, in Statesboro. But BJ, you talk about you talk about Helton, you know, being from Gainesville, going to Auburn, ended up in Houston. His dad went to Florida, 
uh, got ties to the NFL. So we forget about that too. When a coach sits down in the living room, I mean, what is your what is your playing pedigree? Not just oh, I, oh, I played at Auburn and Houston. Oh, so you yeah, I'm a player turned coach. Not just a guy that's only coach coach like like I mean like Kirby Smart. Well, I was a big time player at Georgia, and I and and I come back. That kind of stuff holds weight. But I give Jerry Binko a lot of credit. I mean, he said, "Look, man, we got to make a big hire, not a huge splash, a big hire." I mean, so when you think about this coaching carousel, Kevin and BJ, I mean, look at who would have thought that Georgia Southern would lead the way before all these big, uh, these big programs, you know, decide who they want to get. The first one is Georgia Southern. That means a lot. And Kevin, something you said, National Early Signing Day has got people going. Crazy. Look, dude. I mean, I'm just saying, Coach Lunson, it's been, what, two or three weeks since they let him go? They already got their new guy because recruiting is everything. Dan Mullen, whether you believe it or not, it is everything. So I give, uh, give Jerry Binko, Georgia Southern, a lot of credit. They didn't, get, they didn't get the guy they wanted. They got the guy they coveted. This is the guy we coveted. We got him. And we don't want to share the, we don't want to share the headlines for the next 24 to 72 hours. And to me, I, I give a lot of credit to the Sun Belt. You look at what the Sun Belt, the big time coaches, BJ, Coach Nabry, Coach, you know, Coach Jamie Chadwell, and what these coaches. I want a big name coach to go with a big name program. I want to be recognized by the head coach first, then who he coaches for a second. So I think I give Jared Binko a lot of credit because these, these ADs are saying, dude, I don't do what I want to do. I look around and see what everybody else is doing, and I got to outdo them. I want to get the. So, so think about this. I, I, I bet you this. Last year, <clears throat> Coach Lunsford sat down at the press conference Sun Belt Media Days in front of a in front of a Georgia State uh, background. I, I I guarantee you that will not happen this year. So BJ, I mean, we talk about I mean, think about it, BJ. We we, we talk about what a uh, Deion Sanders does for a Jackson State. Well, the thing about Helton, he's already proven that Georgia Southern is a big time brand. Going for I mean, Gainesville kid goes to Auburn, ends up in Houston. Ends up in Memphis, goes to L.A. I mean, people don't usually go from L.A. to Statesboro. But we have been proven wrong today. So, shout out to – listen, shout out to those you know, Georgia Southern for going out there and getting it done. Because, Kevin, like I said, I mean, I didn't – I knew that Helton was going to land on his feet. I did not think he would be in, you know, uh, in Statesboro, Georgia. But here we are. The Sun Belt is the fun belt. And Deerbrock State, they just added a huge yeah. name to an already, you know, uh, you know a star-studded, uh, you know, cast of characters. 912-342-7184. We'd love to hear from you on that. As, again, uh, coming into the Sun Belt, we expect uh, maybe at least a – Announcement or release from the uh, the university stating that uh, here in the coming hours. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you here three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you on this Tuesday. Clay Helton coming in to Statesboro. 912-342-7184. Love to hear from you here on the show. You can also uh, send us your comment via Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We'll read that on the uh, the show as well. How do you feel about uh, Clay Helton Hire? We expect uh, maybe a release this afternoon from Georgia Southern, uh, stating that to, uh, to be the case. And, again, adding to uh, what is already a building lead league there in, uh, in the Sun Belt, another high-profile coach coming in. But, uh, BJ, we were talking about during the break, the dynamic there where – Kevin Whitley's going to finish out the season, but if Clay Helton is hired, he's ready to go. He, does, he has no responsibilities to another university. He comes in, is hired, he starts the job of evaluating, of looking at how he wants his program structured, looking at, obviously, recruiting and, uh, and things of that nature. So uh, kind of an interesting dynamic where you have one coach and staff 
trying to finish out the last four games, put out obviously as much positive uh, info as they can because they obviously would like to get hired back or uh, another program. Players obviously have the new head coach there watching them day in and day out. A lot of things uh, going to be interesting that last four weeks or so there for, for Georgia Southern. Yeah, and I think given what then what you've referenced a couple of times, the early signing period and how that's really changed everything with recruiting, I think the ability to uh, recruit and kind of hit the ground running and talk about the program, talk about uh, your vision, your expectations, your brand, and not only uh, you know go out and evaluate some of the top high school talent and meet coaches and whatnot, but the transfer portal too has become such a big part of college football, especially for programs, sometimes going through coaching changes. So I think uh, for Coach Helton, uh, Coach Whitley obviously out there working and uh, trying to have the Eagles in the, as, as good of a position as possible to win these next four games. I think I think for Coach Helton, you're talking about recruiting and looking ahead to the future and the talent you can bring into Statesboro uh, via multiple avenues. Well, I mean, the thing about it is that, that you always got to keep in mind, Kevin and BJ, is you always being evaluated. I mean, always. That 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 never ever stops. And you know, unfortunately, you know, for some of these uh, players, I mean, I know we hear the staff. You know, new staff. You know, your new head coach, new staff. Some of these players will not fit in the new system, and that's unfortunate. I mean, I went through a coaching change at Florida, and I and I'm looking at Ron Zucky, looking at me like, you know, he looking at me like, who the hell are you? I'm looking at him like, who the hell are you? And but but unfortunately. I remember my teammates that had to have those conversations to be told, you don't fit what we're trying to do here. Now, think about that. You didn't recruit me. Now, some of these guys always want to be a Georgia Southern Eagle. They're going to be told, either directly or indirectly, you don't fit what we're trying to do, especially it's kind of like it's kind of like the overhaul they had to do at Georgia Tech. You're going from a system that fits a certain type of player to a different type of offense that you got to recruit those guys in there. So it is unfortunate because some of these guys are going to have to go to the transfer portal and it's not going to be to their liking. But I'm telling you, we need to look at college football as a business because that's what it is. It really, really is. Look at these moves that are made. Look at how they are made. Look at how strategic they are made. And I know that you're 17 to 21 years old, but you got to make grown man decisions, decisions even if you are trying to figure out, you know, life in general. So, yeah, it's going to be unfortunate for that staff and some of those players, Kevin and BJ. But for those who didn't know what college football is, you thought that Coach Lunsford was going to be the only one leaving Statesboro. Nope. It's not going to just be that coach staff. It's going to be some of those players as well. And, again, we are – Expecting maybe an announcement this afternoon, maybe a press conference later in the week there in Statesboro. So much to get to still to come here on the program as we get our very first college football playoff poll tonight, BJ and Ben. So a lot of a lot of intrigue. I know the first one, everybody's like, it can change, but a lot of intrigue as to where it sets folks up, at least in the first one. I know a lot of folks will be watching the Michigan States, the Cincinnati's, where are they placed here in this first college football playoff poll. So we'll get to that coming up. Next hour, of course, you got Game 6 tonight. All kind of stuff uh, going on uh, with the playoffs. Game 6 and Georgia Southern bringing in a new head football coach in Clay Helton. We'll hit all of that and more coming up as we roll through the show. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, 912-342-7184. Your number to call and join us here on the program as well. We're going to take three when we return here on Three It Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. College football playoff poll released tonight, and Georgia Southern has a new coach. Those are just some of the things that are happening uh, today around uh, the, the sports world and 
right here in the state of Georgia. We'll get to all of that coming up here in this hour alone. Final hour, Doc Herbert, uh, Platinum Sombrero Podcast will join us. We'll talk game six. Also, Tom Van Heeren, ESPN college football reporter. We'll talk college football playoffs and the rankings, which come out tonight. A lot of people talk about rankings and resumes and things of that nature. That's the subject of today's Take 3. All right, fellas, take take three. Who would have the better resume? So I'm going to give you two teams. You tell me who has the better resume for the college football playoff. Take one, undefeated Cincinnati or undefeated Wake Forest. We don't care what the committee would do. Who has the better resume if that scenario plays itself out? Yeah, so we're talking about Wake Forest winning out, winning the ACC. And I think what what hurts Wake Forest in this argument is that entering Saturday, you had Pitt there in the ACC Coastal that it what moved up to 17th or 18th in the national polls. And you thought for Wake Forest, if you were to run the table in the regular season and get to the ACC championship game, maybe you could face an 11 and one kind of 14th or 15th ranked Pittsburgh to boost your resume. Well. In classic Kevin Thomas fashion, the ACC goes out and ACCs itself, and Pitt loses to Miami, and now Pitt is unranked. So if you look at Wake Forest, they're not going to have that that highlight win on their resume. Uh, the ACC as a whole has been a disappointment. I, I think I would go Cincinnati, and I say that understanding that the week-to-week challenge may be a little more consistent uh, in this theoretical scenario for Wake Forest, but I look at this. What is Wake Forest's best win? And I think if Wake Forest wins out, you would be talking about, I don't know, NC State, who may or may not be ranked. Clemson, who they haven't played yet, probably wouldn't be ranked. If you look at Cincinnati, not only would they have a win at Notre Dame, who's number nine in the country, they have a win at a top 10 team by double digits. They beat Notre Dame 24 to 13, and they have SMU, who they would probably play twice at the end of the regular season and in the AC championship game. And right now, SMU is ranked. So I think in terms of the signature wins, Cincinnati, who also beat Indiana out of the Big Ten, would have the better the better resume from a championship evaluation standpoint. I mean, there's just there's there's so much equity you get from a win over a top ten team. I understand Wake Forest is in the you know power five, but Cincinnati would have a road win over the number nine team in the country by multiple scores. Because of that, I would go with Cincinnati. But BJ, Wake Forest going out of conference this week against North Carolina. It's so weird, man. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just I, messing with yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that clarity. But no, I, I just think a win over a top ten team in the country, that's only a few teams in all of college football has that. Cincinnati's one of them. The one I know, the, well, obviously, uh, you know, the answer is Cincinnati BJ, because look, Notre Dame boosts anybody's resume, no matter what year it is. Notre Dame has national appeal. Notre Dame, Notre Dame is a team to where they control their own destiny every year because outside of a pandemic-driven season, stricken season, that's the only time they're contractually obligated to actually be in the ACC in football. But, BJ, another thing is this. Don't act like this don't play a factor. Wake Forest is not in the preseason narrative. No more talking about Wake Forest even with them in the preseason. They're talking about Clemson. They're talking about North Carolina. They're talking about Miami. Talking about Virginia Tech. Cincinnati is being talked about in the preseason. They have a big-time star at quarterback in Desmond Ritter, and they've beaten UCF, and they've beaten Notre Dame by double digits, and they're undefeated. So 
I think they, because because the one thing about these resumes, BJ, is one thing, but the national appeal. Cincinnati has to do what they're doing with the quarterback that they're doing with coming off a, uh, you know, an incredible, uh, you know, Peach Bowl against Georgia. All these things they have to wait for us. Unfortunately, they're good in a really, really bad ACC this year. Like, they happen to be good when everybody else is bad because if Clemson was good or you needed one of the big three to be good, Clemson, North, North Carolina, Miami, well, all three are bad. So why Wake Forest is celebrated, and this is something they've never done, and you know they doing they doing uh, tweets at the end of games, Kevin. No one cares, and I'm sorry, Wake Forest. This is the unfortunate part about being good in a down year. You're in the ACC, eh? But who cares? It's like people ain't gonna come out there and say that, BJ. But most people don't even know what Wake Forest is, let alone that they're playing good football. So with all that, I would go with Cincinnati because they win in the national. Uh, narrative. They went in the uh, they went in the, uh, the the resume narrative, and they got a potential uh, first round pick at quarterback. I think what hurts Wake Forest is that nobody has stepped up in the stead. You could say Clemson. I mean, Wake Forest has in terms of the undefeated team, but nobody has stepped up in the stead of some of those uh, programs like Miami, Florida State, and others kind of staying down. You said, okay, that's fine. If those programs are not good, you need NC State or Pitt or somebody to continue on and get deep in the season with only one loss, and they haven't been able to do that. So even your second-tier teams who are having a good season have not been able to push that into a great season to help push along Wake Forest. I mean, Virginia Tech, I think, is 4-4. Four and four. You have, they're, the, they're, they're number one with a bullet in the ACC right now uh, because nobody can consistently win uh, once they're up there at the top. Let's move along. Take two. Again, we're only talking resumes uh, here in this situation. A one-loss Alabama or a one-loss Ohio State. That would have been at home to Oregon, who's going to be in the top ten of this poll tonight. Alabama's one loss would have been on the road against, at the time, a nationally ranked football team uh, in the top 15 as well. You can certainly make an argument for the Big Ten this year. When you look at the, the, the schedule, especially the division that has Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, uh, Michigan State, it's just incredible. And I think you can look at that division and say that's the toughest stretch that anybody has run into in a month-long span or theoretically whenever those games were played on Ohio State's schedule. And you did lose to Oregon, although Oregon lost to, to Stanford. Oregon is still a top-ten team. So I think if you were to look at – who had the better loss? Alabama losing to Texas A&M, who's been okay, or Oregon beating Ohio State. I think Oregon would be a better loss than, than certainly Texas A&M, but I think where the difference would lie if you play this out to the end of the year, even if you want to make the argument, even if you want to make the argument that Ohio State had a more impressive regular season resume, and keep in mind, Ohio State will get Michigan State and Michigan in a couple of weeks, and Michigan is, I believe, still in the top 10 to 12, and Michigan State's right there in the top five. If this plays out and Ohio State has one loss, and Alabama has one loss, that means Alabama would have beaten the number one team in the country. And a win over the number one team in the country, Georgia, is the ultimate victory. That's the best win in college football. If you uh, assume that Auburn is gonna, and you can't assume anything with Auburn, but they've been playing well, they've been playing better, they're right back up close to the top 10. If Alabama finishes the season with just one loss, that would include a win over a top 15 Auburn and a win over the number one team in the country uh, in, in, in a game that's the biggest thing we have outside of the playoff, the SEC championship game. So even if you feel like Ohio State's kind of 
uh, uh, official schedule without the extra games maybe was more challenging. Ohio State's going to play Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game if they get there. Alabama's going to play Georgia. If you beat Georgia, that resume is better for Alabama. I'm going to, BJ, the reason why I'm, I'm still going to say Alabama, regardless of the fact that we know who they got to end the season with, I mean, Alabama lost because what, you always talk about these market correction games, what they was going for win, uh, what, number 20 or something like that, and nobody's going to win that many games in a row. I mean, I'm BJ, I mean, I I hate to be giving you this credit for all these, this whole numbers games that you'll be playing, but, you know, Texas A&M is a good enough team uh, to beat anybody, and obviously they were, you know, Jimbo Fisher is good to get a signature win. Got one last year against Florida, got one this year against Alabama. Ohio State is always going to be very, very competitive. They're good for losing one a year, and then they run the table. Alabama, even though it's, you know, it was, it was, it's been a while since they had lost a game, including last season, I still think it's always going to be Alabama because no matter what, I mean. LSU is still going to be seen as a good game when it comes to Alabama and Auburn, and uh, obviously you you know you, you're going to finish the year uh, you know in Atlanta against uh, against Georgia. I don't take nothing away from Ohio State though. When you think about Michigan State is playing out of their mind, uh, Penn State can't beat them. Michigan can't beat them, but they are quality games regardless. I think Michigan State being undefeated helps that resume, but no, it's Alabama man. A one loss Alabama team, no matter who it was against, is always going to probably have a better resume because who because it had to be a heroic effort to go out there and beat. Alabama boys. All right. And now, take three. A one-loss Michigan State. Mind you, they're currently undefeated. So, if they slip up, lose to Ohio State or Penn State, a one-loss Michigan State or an undefeated Oklahoma who has a better resume. I think at the end of the end, listen, Oklahoma has not been consistently impressive in my mind right now. And I think, I think their resume as of November 2nd is kind of a step back behind some of the other teams, but I do believe Oklahoma finishes the season with, in some order, Baylor, who's in the national top 15, Iowa State, who at least, you know, was hyped earlier in the year, and Oklahoma State, who I believe is in the national top 15. I think if those numbers maintain themselves and you finish the year undefeated, you played a couple of top 15 teams. I don't know where Texas is now, but Texas back when they met, Texas and Oklahoma, they were a top 25. They were like 22 or 23. That's a decent resume. And when when you go undefeated and you have those wins at the end of the year, I would I, I would go with Oklahoma, but I do think it's interesting, right? Michigan State would be an interesting test case if they lose to Ohio State, let's say in a close game by a field goal. Because much like we've seen a team out of the SEC, Alabama, make it to the uh, national championship game and not play for its conference title, if Michigan State were to lose to Ohio State, you would have a Michigan State team that went, went undefeated outside of Ohio State. Keep in mind, earlier in the year when De'Aaron King was healthy, they went to Miami when Miami was nationally ranked, won by 21 points. They just played number six, Michigan, and won that game. They would have a win over Penn State. They would have a number of quality wins, and their only loss would be to we, we, we assume Big Ten champion uh, Ohio State by a field goal. It would be really hard to leave a team out with that resume, but I think if you do drop that one game and Oklahoma's unbeaten and you have those wins at the end of the year against the better teams in the Big 12, I think you go Oklahoma. But, man, that would be unfortunate for Michigan State. Oklahoma, if they go undefeated, BJ, when you talk about uh, you know those games they got to the end of the season, including a team like Oklahoma State and they played 
uh, Texas when Texas was relevant. That is uh, a more impressive resume. If Michigan State loses one game, they are the more impressive team. Because the whole thing about it is we, we, we got to give credit to the fact that Michigan State is always chasing Ohio State. They always chase the Penn State. They always chase the Michigan. That Michigan-Michigan State game was very, very impressive. And I am not a Big Ten enthusiast. I do not watch Big Ten football unless my channel gets stuck. But it was very, very impressive. Because the thing is, if Oklahoma goes undefeated, and let me say this, undefeated seasons in the P5, in the G5, that's impressive. Regardless of even if you're the top dog, that's still hard to do because you because it doesn't mean you were the best team on the field every single weekend. You just find a way uh, to put one in the W column. But to me, if Michigan State has one loss and Oklahoma goes undefeated, yes, the resume of Oklahoma is more impressive. But I still think Michigan State, you know, uh, is the more is the more impressive team because I just think that no one's expecting Michigan State to be in the position that they're in because the gauntlet is Penn State. Michigan and Ohio State every freaking year. That's their gauntlet. So I, I do think Oklahoma and and obviously Oklahoma is doing it with their backup quarterback. I think we've seen the last of Spencer Rattler. The fact that they 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 keeping everything you know uh, they keeping their season afloat even with Spencer Rattler not even pilot, but I think he's taking his last snap uh, you know at Oklahoma. That makes it even more impressive. But I still think Michigan State might have a more impressive team. That's take three. I think Michigan State would be a little bit more just. Because of the gauntlet they would have run through there in the Big Ten, Big 12. We'll see how it plays out. I know Baylor's still sitting there with one loss. Oklahoma State, not bad. So maybe Oklahoma's lot changes there by the end of the year. I think Michigan State, though, might be a little more impressive at the end of the day. That's take three. We do it every day this time. We'll come back. Game six tonight. Do the Astros have the momentum? Or can the Braves continue the way they've played this postseason and bring home a World Series? We'll debate that next. You're three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Game six tonight. I've asked you every time how you're feeling about it. Do you feel like the Astros take some of the momentum back in this series? Or, and Ben's pointing to the A, for the A. Or do you feel like, hey, it's one game. You're as good as the starting pitching or the pitching you run out there uh, in the series. Braves obviously going with Max Freed tonight. Yeah, I think I think both to a certain extent, Kevin. Uh, I do think when you when you look at the way Houston kind of got back into this series, it was very it was very resilient, right? You you go back to what was it game game four, and Houston barely got a hit. They got a couple of hits late. Then you go to the start of game five, and Atlanta hits a grand slam early in the game. And I think a lot of us looked around. A lot of us looked around and thought. This is Atlanta's game to lose. I mean, you have a 4 nothing lead. I know Houston's got a great offense. And then since that point, again, coming off of a game where they barely put the ball in play, they outscored the Braves 9-1 to to finish off game five. And now you're going back to Houston. So I do think the Astros have a little momentum. But, Ben, to your point, I don't really know once you settle into game six how much that matters. Like, I think if there is momentum that's tangible, I think Houston has it. Keep in mind, they still have to win two games. Atlanta only has to win one. But if you're Max Freed, I mean, you guys were talking about his mindset. You go out and you're strong and that curveball's working and you're, you know, catching corners and whatnot, you have the momentum. It can change just like that. So I do think the Astros have a little bit of momentum, but I don't think it's it's unovercomable. I don't think it's guaranteed to sustain itself throughout, you know, even the first couple of innings of game six 
once you get going, a couple of hits this way, a couple of hits that way, momentum's up for grabs, and I think anybody anybody can get it. If Atlanta starts out well tonight, knowing that they only need one and Houston needs two, I think by the time you start to get into the kind of the, the stressful innings, the Braves clearly have the advantage and the momentum. <sighs> Max Free needs to breathe. I mean, he really, really does. Just breathe, breathe in this moment. And, and, and BJ and Kevin, look, of course, of course, Houston got the momentum. They're still in it. They they played three games in Atlanta. They won. They won. One. They won one out of three. Right. And now they're back in Houston to try to you know to try to force a game seven. So they, they got the momentum because they're still in it. But Houston knows just how dangerous as dangerous as Houston is. The Braves are just as dangerous. And I think when you are a Braves team, you got to say to yourself, okay, everything is set up right. Kevin said it. First two games, they need to, the Braves need to get one out of these two. They got the first one. Put the, and what it did, it brought out the best in Houston because Houston, do we can't be going back to Atlanta down 0-2. Okay, the Braves win the next two. And then people think, oh, man, they can get it done on, they can get them done on Sunday. Nope. They get the grand it's It's going it's, it's to be, it's going to be drama field. I mean, every single I don't I don't know how long it takes to get through an inning of baseball, but it is the World Series, it is drawn out. But BJ, isn't this what you want though? Because think about this. This is the Braves team that's steady gotten better every single year, right? Gotten better. Hold on a second. Hold on. Christian just looked over from across the room and gave me the head shake. No. No, no, this I, is not I, what I, you I want. Ain't for the record, you wanted to win in game listen, five. Listen. I ain't asked Christian. I asked you. And this is the thing. I it's it's supposed. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be hard. Like it's. It's, it's not. It, we would have loved to have for you know a sweep. No, Houston is a usual suspect. They've been in this position and they're playing to not just win the World Series, but prove they don't need cheating to do it. The Braves is proving that. Listen, even without Ron Lacuna Jr., even without one one team is trying to prove their their team without cheating. The other team is trying to prove we might have the best culture in baseball. That's what the Braves are doing. And, well, I mean, I think that. Well, I think the Braves have a little more to play for. They're trying to bust through the perception. Oh, oh, sad, sad, Kevin. There is no what. There is no there, cursing. There isn't. But they're trying to bust through the perception <laughs> that they can't get it done in the big moment. And and again, I I think I will say that is the perception. They haven't done it, but I don't think that means they can't do it. Okay. And, I, and again, I think. Uh, Freddie Freeman even said it in the series, hey, our job is to go out and change that narrative and say, quit talking about what we haven't done. We're going to talk about what we're going to do. And, again, I think the Braves have a chance to do that uh, tonight. You look at this lineup, I feel good about it. You move Ozzie Albies uh, down, I think he's hitting seventh tonight. So you go Rosario, Solaire, Freeman, Riley. That's pretty dangerous, one, two, three, four, coming right at you. I I'll take that against pretty much anybody. And I know the Astros have their own dangerous lineup. But this is a team that I think also has something to prove. I know this is an interesting series, uh, BJ and Ben, from that standpoint, where uh, you're not dealing with a dynastic team uh, necessarily, although the Astros maybe could be uh, as many times as they've been in the playoffs here as of late. But you're really chasing that beaten on the trash cans history. I mean, the Braves for fans were even chanting cheater at Altuve and and, the, and Bregman when they came up to bat in Atlanta. So you're trying to erase that history. The Braves are just trying to erase. It's been 25 years since you've won a title, and 21 years since you've even been in the World Series, and this whole Atlanta sports thing, that's nonsense. Look, go out and make a play. You got outplayed on, on, on Sunday night, and that happens. You got outplayed. You hit a grand slam, and everybody's like, and it's over. No, it was in the first inning. You had saw eight innings to go, and you did not play to that level uh, the rest of the way. You got outplayed for the other eight innings. 
Braves have to go out and outplay the Astros for nine more innings, and they'll be world champs. And I feel good with Max Fried pitching, and I'll feel real good. And again, that's not to say it won't happen, but I feel real good if Max Fried can get you to the sixth or seventh inning and you hit that what's now been dubbed the night shift to come in and try to finish it up. They've let's been so do, good. I mean, that's do. a great, that's a Let, great. Daddy, daddy, we're going to turn it over to let, the night let's shift. Let's do it. Let's do I mean, hold on, hold on. BJ, BJ. All right, Mr. Games are won and lost with starting pitching. I get, I get it. I get it. I, you have Not won. Any, I don't think any well, more well, in the well, postseason well, because we've seen bullpen. I think games are won and lost in the postseason with bullpen but pitching. I, I, but not BJ, necessarily starting pitching. How impressed as collectively, now not individually, collectively, how impressed have you been with this Braves bullpen, which it took them all season to start playing well collectively, but they're doing it at the right time. They've been extraordinary. I mean, they've been absolutely extraordinary. And I think even, you know, a little bit of the, you know, struggles you saw from Minter, I mean, come on. He basically, at times in this series, has been giving you a starters-type effort. So, I think, you know, Will Smith, his ERA is zero in the postseason. That that speaks for itself. Luke Jackson got into a little bit of trouble, and his teammates picked him up. Outside of that, he's he's been great. Tyler Matzik is, at times, looked like the best reliever in baseball. I mean, just pressure spotlight hall of famers at the plate and he doesn't care at all throwing strikes coming right after guys so yes the braves bullpen has earned the benefit of the doubt and kevin to your point if freed goes out tonight and gives you six and you can go seven eight nine that's a dream scenario and that's probably the best scenario if you could draw it up to win a world championship but i do think the first couple of innings and hopefully max free can avoid that one inning uh, you know sort of miscue that he's had a couple of times if you can avoid the big inning and just stay around stay in the game because there's going to be a lot of emotion on the field tonight there's going to be a lot of energy and that's why I keep going back to these first couple of innings and that hasn't always been a uh, foreshadower of things to come in this World Series but I do look at it like this Houston has some momentum whatever that's worth and Ben you always hear for a football team especially in college going on the road if you're going on the road and you're facing a good team in a hostile environment, you got to have success early, kind of takes the energy out of the crowd, kind of takes the energy out of the team. I think that same thing can be said tonight. You know, the Astros, when Duvall hit that home run, their fan base probably thought that grand slam, okay, that's it. We're going to lose. The Braves are going to win the World Series. Braves are still the favorites, still in a much better spot, but the Astros have a chance. And I think if a couple of hits start falling, Kevin, I know you said in the show meeting in Freed's last outing, wasn't always, you know, a, a you know a gap splitting double. It was sometimes a bloop. You know, you hit it the opposite way against the shift. If you start building up that confidence and that energy in the building becomes palpable, that's when those pitches become even more stressful for guys on the mound. That's when those at bats become tense. And I think as long as you're Kevin uh, uh, Ben, you started this segment out saying, take a deep breath. If you're Max Freed, I think if you can control the tempo early, if you can get the first run. If Max Free can get an early strikeout or an early double play, even though it's ultimately going to come down to, you know, who's fundamentally better at baseball tonight, I think if you can make the big play early, it changes the psychology of this series back in Atlanta's favor. Max Free get to do tonight what, what every pitcher that's ever picked up a baseball get to do. I get to I get to hopefully lead my team to a World Series as a starting pitcher in game six. Like it's 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 here. And I know it's easy for me to say that, Kevin and BJ, because no. we're right here watching. But, but I, w- I will say this: if we're talking about two guys at the end of this game, the Braves got a good shot. If we're talking about Max Freed and Freddie Free, they got a re- they got good shot as in it because Freddie Free is the spark on all. Like he is 
you you don't even worry about Freddie Freeman on defense. Whatever you don't even that's how good he is at first base. If Freddie Freeman is himself at that plate, because another thing Kevin Wynn talked about, this lineup for the Braves should be putting a lot of pressure on that on that on those pitches for the Astros. And I think I think you deal with it. Listen, every three innings, look, man, we got to make sure that we outplay these guys for three innings. Then you go to first three, then you go to next. Because I think this Braves team understand that Houston, they're not going. Just because you win it by two, win it by three in the late inning, you got to put this team away, and that's that's the twenty-seven outs. And Kevin, I know you say the hardest outs, you know, in baseball, or really maybe the last six with a team like like Houston. But BJ and Kevin, when you look at how conventional the Braves got here, that that regular season ain't nothing to even compare it to. Then you start talking about the injuries, you start talking about the trade deadline. Then who's going to start in the postseason? Here they are. Here they are. So I just think that BJ is supposed to be is supposed to be uh, pressure field because it's the World Series. It's 2018 is watching, wishing they was in this position right now. And it ain't like the Braves play slouches to get here. They played the freaking Dodgers <laughs> to get here. So I think that Max Free go out there and be yourself. If he and if he does and if he's not at his best, make sure his defense picks him up. But they, but this lineup for the Braves, they got to keep pressure, you know, on those on those pitches for Houston because that's what's going to decide the game. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like you're entering. This is where you enter the, uh, the the fairy tale stuff, right? I mean, when you get to this point, it's going to be game six or game seven uh, if if you make it to tomorrow night, and it's the stuff where if you're a kid that's played one minute of baseball, you've had that moment of it's game six, it's game seven in the World Series, and it's on me to make the play. And I'm either I'm going to be the hero, and I think that's what you come down. Now nobody walks into the the batter's box. I'm about to be the hero, but those moments are made, and we've seen it. Eddie Rosario making the catch at the wall the other night, uh, Solaire with the big home run. Those are moments uh, that are are going to stick for a while uh, with a lot of folks. But you talk about Game Six, Game Seven. Uh, that that's where you're really talking about. Hey, go in there with some confidence. That hey, I'm about to make something happen. That who knows. Uh, what what it could mean uh, down the road. But I, I look at it, uh, Ben and BJ, and again, I'm still confident in this Braves team to go out there and get the job done. Uh, again, this has been one of the best, well, record-wise, it's been the best team since the trade deadline. Ben mentioned you beat the Dodgers. Oh, by the way, you also beat the Milwaukee Brewers, who were pretty darn good. Uh, they kind of coasted with the Central Division there, but they were one of the best teams from the jump in 2021. And you beat them. You beat the Dodgers. And now you're going up against an Astros team that has been in the World Series before, won it, lost it. They know what it's like to, to, to win it. They know what it's like to uh, taste that defeat. They're not going to roll over on you. Go earn it. And I think this team has that, uh, that purpose. And I really feel they're rallying around that, that Jock Peterson quote. They just might be those, those guys to go out there and get it done. And, and I think they feel that confidence that they're going to go out there and make a play when their team needs it. Now, obviously, baseball, every game can't be 3-2 to two bottom of the ninth. But tonight, I agree with you, take, take the Houston crowd out as early as possible. And if you've watched this series, the Braves have had runners on base in a lot of innings. They haven't just been mowed through by, by Astros pitching. You got to convert some of those guys into runs early and keep pressure on that Astros defense. And again, I feel like the Braves have a good a chance to do it. And, and win or lose tonight, I feel good about where the Braves are. You're rested in the bullpen. You have Max Free tonight. If it doesn't go your way, you got Ian Anderson. And at that point, BJ, it's game seven. Game seven, it's going to be the last game of the year either way. 
everybody on the roster is available to go out there and give you everything they got. Empty the tank. And if you have to go, even Max Freed, if you got to go out there and go Max Freed, we need two outs, then that's what you got to do. But, again, I feel good about where the Braves are. I mean, the Astros are talking about maybe a bullpen game in game number seven. So you've got your two best available, and Max Fried and Ian Anderson going the next two nights. You're in a good position to go out and get one win, but you got to play confident, believe it's going to happen, and I think this Braves team at their core believes that it will. We've got more to come here on game six. We also have the college football playoff committee with their first rankings tonight. What will we see when that comes out? We'll get to that next year on 3 and Out. College football playoff poll comes out tonight, which will lead to much gnashing of teeth, wringing of hands, and gray hair sprouting amongst all the college football fans who think that this week actually matters uh, with the college football rankings. BJ and Ben, we obviously know one thing before the ranking even comes out. Georgia will be number one. If Georgia's not number one, then the whole blasted committee just needs to be tossed and get a new one because they've clearly been the best, most consistent team throughout college football. So when we go down the list here, how do you think we're evaluating? Because I know, BJ, you want to say, what are we ranking? Well, I think no matter how you define it, Georgia's number one. So it doesn't matter what criteria you use, whether you use the eyeball test, whether you use potential resume, whether you use domination and statistics and how they've played, Georgia's number one. What do you think we see after that? How do you think the committee, because they do put some things out there in the first one that always makes people get all upset, and then you're like, you know it's not going to look like this in four or five weeks, so why are you getting upset about it? Yeah, I know you've long said, Kevin, you know, don't worry about the first poll because it's all going to work itself out or questions will get answered over the duration of the games that are left. But I think the question you asked is a really important one that I'm not sure fans, media, that we always ask ourselves, right? It's like we get into these rankings. Okay, time to rank your top four or your top six or your top eight. And everybody's already fired up and mad, like you said, and just, just ready to argue. Well, what exactly are we ranking? And I, I struggle to get a consistent answer from people when I ask that because to some people it's we're ranking the four best teams. Well, what does that mean? And I know you guys don't like when I do this, but but best teams can mean different things to different people. Like we were we were just talking around the office. To some, best means most talented. To some, best means most. I mean, Kevin, you just said most consistent when you were talking about you know introducing this this conversation. To some, it means most deserving and those are clearly different sets of evaluation. Like if you were to ask me who are the three most talented teams in college football, I would say Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. And you could probably say that more years than not, even before a game is played. I mean, even if you want to go off of the word best, which is kind of nebulous and abstract, and say who are the four best teams, well, I think every single one of us, if – Alabama was playing probably anybody in the country except Georgia, and maybe even Georgia for some, you would pick Alabama because you think Alabama's the best team. But at some point, we have to either explain what we mean by best or at least compare and contrast that distinction to most deserving. And I bring that up because Christian asked us to rank our, you know, our top four, five, six, whatever it was. I think it was six teams uh, so we can get kind of a kind of an office ranking. And I even sent him a, a disclaimer in my ranking where I said, I don't think these are the six best teams. I think these are the four to six most deserving. Because if we're, if we're only going off best, then what are we evaluating resumes for? 
What are we looking at, looking at strength of schedule for? I mean, if you were to ask 100 people, is Michigan State better than Alabama, uh, you would get 100 no's. Alabama's better than Michigan State. But when you get past the hype and attention that we entered the preseason with and what's happened in previous seasons and kind of the, the allure of Alabama, and I'm not saying they – I have them in my, in, in my top four, but when you start to look at the resumes – I think that's where things like the eye test make me a little nervous because you're not you're not and Ben, you said you don't like if the committee doesn't explain why they have teams ranked where they're ranked. To me, when I hear best as it pertains to the college football playoff, I think about most deserving based on your resume, your 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 strength of schedule, and your performance in the spotlight. Ooh. What 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 am I ranking? What am I ranking? BJ, I think the first thing you rank is the best because I think it's the it's one it's to me because you got box scores, you got you got eye tests. There's a lot of ways to rank the best. The best to me is who's better than them. No, there's nobody better than George. There's nobody better than Alabama. That, I, I I don't care who you are. Nobody's better than them. They on a crash course. Then you talk about you talk about you talk about most deserving. That would be Cincinnati, right? To me and Michigan State. They're most deserving because they're outliers. They're not usual suspects. And you got two other teams that have negotiated their way in, and that is Ohio State and that is Oklahoma. So it's different ways to look at it. So for me, I'm doing who negotiated it. Oh, that would be Ohio State. That would be Oklahoma. Who's most deserving? That would be Michigan State. You know, that would be Cincinnati. Who's the best? Georgia and Alabama. And, and, the, and the reason why I did it like that is because these are the conversations we have. But who's the best team in college football this year? Georgia and Alabama. Like, that's what everybody's saying. Because we were going to – who do you think is a better team, Alabama or Michigan State? Right. Better team? I, I would go – I would go uh, – Alabama is the better team, while Michigan State might be the most impressive of the two. Okay, who has a better resume right now, Michigan State or Alabama? That would be Mich- – Michigan State, Michigan State has a better resume right now than Alabama. So, so who would you have ranked higher, the team that you think is better or the team that has the better resume? I would, I would, have, the, I would have the team that I think is better because the thing about resumes is, BJ, that's based on who you play when it comes to – you can only play who you play, and, that's, and, and bigger than who you play, how do the teams you play – how do they play? Like, but I guess that, to Kevin's point, and this is what we've talked about, if Michigan State can be undefeated, beat a top six team on Saturday, Alabama has a loss to an unranked team. And, and look, we're all – all of us are, are, are limited by these inconsistencies. But but if that's the case, what are we ranking Alabama over Michigan State based on? Like if Michigan State has a better resume, what are we what are we what are we considering Alabama? And I think Alabama's better but, than Michigan but, State too. Because, but, but because why are we saying that? Because because while while Michigan State while Michigan State might have the better resume, while Michigan State might have been looked the most impressive, I still don't think they're a better team than Alabama. Because BJ, like I said, Alabama lost because of circumstance more than the team. Because Alabama did lose to Texas A&M. You got to look at how they lost and how many games had they won in a row. All that stuff. Has to matter. Georgia has to no, I agree. I, I agree. And, and all I'm saying is for me, and I'm still trying to struggle explaining what I'm even ranking, but I can't go off of who I think is the better team well, or who I think would win head to head. I have to go off the well, resume. I mean, but the important, the guys, the important thing to remember here, though, is I think you can have all of those discussions, which is why you have a committee of folks and it's not just two guys sitting in a room going, oh, we think. No, you have. We have guys who say, well, their resume is better. Their resume is better. This might be a most deserving team. This might be a better team. I think all that comes into play when they're discussing breaking this down. So I think you've got to get a cross-section, if you will, 
of that. I don't know if it's necessarily groupthink uh, going on in uh, in the playoff committee. I mean, you have representatives from each conference in there, some former uh, you know administrators and coaches who are in there as well. So uh, I think you get a cross section of all of that going on in those discussions. If you ever set in on those meetings where there, I mean, this is obviously way more important than you know, just your typical office meeting. But, I mean, if you set in on that meeting, I'm sure you would hear all of these arguments being pointed out. And how do you mediate some of that amongst each person on the committee to come up with the idea of, okay, this is what we're going to push out there. I mean, to me, Georgia's number one. That's without question. After that, you can make an argument about who needs to be where. To me, the intrigue in this first one is where is a team like Cincinnati in this first poll? Because I think if we ask all three of us on the show, I think all of us have agreed. Cincinnati goes undefeated. Not what we think, but Cincinnati goes undefeated. We have all pretty much said on the show they're not getting in. If there's an undefeated or a one loss around them, they will be moved out in favor of that. Do we? I mean, we agree on that. But where do they sit now? I mean, they, they, they put them second in this first poll? Are they third? And who's got to play their way in? Ben and I talked yesterday, I, I I think, again, half of it is where are we going, half of it is let's get people talking. I think Alabama and Ohio State will both be out of the top four in this first poll. Why? So people can get all upset and start whining about how the committee doesn't know what they're talking about. I think Cincinnati will be in there, but as the season plays out, they will slide out as you see Ohio State play Michigan, Ohio State play uh, Michigan State, Alabama plays Auburn, and some of those games that come up down the stretch. So, uh, again, what do you think will happen? What will be the big talking point, BJ, given all that, coming out of this first ranking that everybody's going to be talking about tonight and into tomorrow? I think Cincinnati's going to be in, like you said, and I think people will assume that that means if they win out, they will stay in, and history has shown us that is not necessarily the case. I think at the end of the day, the wild card is always going to be Alabama, Kevin, because people because Alabama has that national appeal. But BJ, if Cincinnati is not in, if Cincinnati is not in and they are five or six, we could we can already know it's bias. It it is it, it is it is not based on what you've done currently. I've been telling y'all it's based on do you have a national appeal? What have you done uh, in the past, and what do we expect you to do? Because November is setting up to be about as crazy as we've seen in a while. Because we got team, we don't got the usual suspects up here. We got Michigan State undefeated. Well, I mean, but I'm saying then this is where it's interesting, and because you have what four undefeateds right there near the top that you could put in Alabama, and Ohio State, Oregon, maybe your first two or three out with one loss. And see how it's going to play out. I think you have in this first ranking, right? I mean, don't you have to put the undefeateds in there? They haven't lost. Yeah, but 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 are you talking about records or are you talking about resumes? I, but, think well, I mean both. I mean both. Thing. I think both. I mean Cincinnati's got a a nice win. So I guess Notre Dame. Kevin Christian just asked me this. So if you got to put the undefeateds in, would you have Wake Forest in the top four? <laughs> no, but but no no no. I'm saying, but look. No, here's, hear me out. So, and I hope Christian can hear me. I would put the undefeateds in who, in the AP poll and the coaches poll, are already up there. 
Wake Forest is not. I think Wake Forest is 10. They've worked their way up, and I think we all know Wake Forest is not going to get in either. We'll come back. They're telling me i got to get out. We'll wrap this hour up here. Three here on a three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. A lot to get to coming up in the final hour of the program. We're talking some Braves baseball. Doc Herbert will join us for the Platinum Sombrero podcast, and we'll talk about game number six. Tom Van Heeren set to join us when we return. We'll talk about the college football playoff committee coming up in the final hour. What will they do tonight? He'll join us next here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you back. Final hour here of 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. So much to get to is game six. Coming up tonight, Braves and Astros. We'll chat with Doc Herbert coming up in just a little bit about this Braves team. Can they finish it up here this evening uh, in the World Series? We also get our very first college football playoff rankings tonight. And Georgia Southern apparently set to go in a new direction with Clay Helton, our next guest to talk about the playoffs. Obviously, Clay Helton back in college football. Tom Van Heeren, ESPN college football reporter, joins us here on 3 and Out. Tom, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. Before we get to the playoffs uh, here in uh, our neck of the woods, Georgia Southern uh, going with Clay Helton uh, coming back into uh, to college football as a guy who covered it the national scene, obviously from L.A. to Statesboro. How big a news is that that Clay Helton back in college football and it's uh, in Statesboro in the Sun Belt? Well, I, for, for Georgia Southern, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big name. And it's somebody that was on the national scene for, for a while now at a, at a big Power 5 school. Um, and, and it's a name that's going to resonate, I think, most importantly with, with recruits. They, they know who he is already. Uh, and that's, that's a big win for the program. And, and you know, I, I don't know how it's going to end up because it, it just seems like nobody can predict what's going to happen with coaches anymore. But, um, you know, if you, if you look at some of the positives for the hire, I think, you can look back at what he did at USC. He, he, he was able to win the conference, the Pac-12. Uh, he won some big games, won the Rose Bowl. He was able to, to develop some big-name players, Sam Darnold, at quarterback. Um, and, and throughout his career, I think he's been able to develop some players. So I, I think for me the biggest thing is if he can do that, if he can go back to what he's done in the past and develop players, and then mix in some of the things that he learned at USC, particularly in recruiting, um, I, I think he can do well there. And, and I think the biggest part for, for me with recruiting, uh, I actually spoke to him, I, I think it was maybe last year for a story, and, and he said he, he changed his whole philosophy on recruiting, realized how important it was, spent a ton of time with it, tried to restructure USC's uh, recruiting department. So I, I think he's got to bring that over to, to the new program here at Georgia Southern and, and try to continue that philosophy going forward. Tom, do you think the, the early signing period, which has obviously become the signing period in many respects, has resulted in an environment where you want to get coaches hired as, as soon as possible so that they can uh, try to get a class lined up for that kind of pre-Christmas period? A- absolutely. And I think some athletic directors have admitted as such that if, if you wait, it could impact the whole recruiting class for you, and it could impact the next year's recruiting class. And then, it, it, and now, because everybody is is moving up the the timeline and firing coaches so so early, it, it could put, it could put you behind the eight ball in hiring a new coach too if you if you decide to wait. So that timeline, the coaching carousel has moved up so much, and I, I absolutely think it has to do with the early signing period and 
And really everything is an arms race in, in college football, right? If one school does one thing, everybody kind of follows suit and tries to do the same thing or tries to get a step ahead. So, yeah, I, I just think that's going to be the nature of how the coaching carousel works now. It's going to happen earlier, um, and they're going to try, the schools are going to try to get as far ahead as they can to try to get the best candidate and salvage that recruiting class. Tom, when you think about you know uh, college football right now, everything seems to go in cycles. When you think about uh, Georgia Southern being the first with his coaching carousel to get the first big hire, obviously Coach Sheldon's going to come in and try to be able to implement a different offense. But patience is not on his side. How what's the timeline of him getting those guys in and implementing a new offense? Because it's going it's going to take getting used to uh, Statesburg, you know, coming out of Statesburg, not not running that option offense. Well, yeah, I, I, you're right. The timeline now for coaches, they don't. There's no patience. They have, they have, they don't have four to five years anymore. They have a couple of years to turn things around, and that's it. And you know, I, I think on a bigger scale, what we've been looking at uh, nationally is Mel Tucker at Michigan State as a blueprint for new coaches and and how fast you can rebuild a program. Because at Michigan State last year won two games. Their their running game was terrible. It was one of the worst in the country. And coming into this season, we didn't really know what, what to expect from that program. But Mel Tucker brought in a ton of transfers, rebuilt the, the roster through the transfer portal, and now he's got Kenneth Walker, a Heisman candidate. Uh, they're undefeated. They're ranked in the top five nationally, and he turned that program around in one year. So that doesn't help new coaches like Clay Helton there or whoever gets hired at new places because there's evidence that you can now use that transfer portal to turn the program around quicker than you used to be able to because of how many players are in the transfer portal and the, the type of talent that's in the transfer portal, uh, I think it's almost a necessity for new coaches now to, to go in and try to get as many guys that fit their system and, and that can help rebuild the roster and reshape the roster the, the way that they want it to. Tom Van Heeren joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Tom, we get the first playoff rankings tonight. Where do you expect the intrigue to start? here this evening obviously in this state everybody that's watched georgia play expect them to be number one uh, without much question where does the intrigue start for you with this first ranking yeah i, I you know cincinnati's undefeated i i think they're probably gonna i think they're safe um you know alabama oklahoma michigan state and ohio state i i think that that's the, the main group that i'm really watching to see what happens in this first ranking in this first first group because Oklahoma's got nine wins they're undefeated Michigan State just beat a top five team and they're undefeated Ohio State has one loss to Oregon that was in the beginning of the season but now they look like a different team than they did in the beginning of the season so I think that group is probably where where the most intrigue comes from and and where I want to see how the committee ranks those teams because. I think this first ranking a lot of times can shape what happens further down the line. Um, and, and Alabama especially has got to be watching Oklahoma and Michigan State because they've got, they're sitting there with one loss, probably going to make it to the SEC championship game, probably have to play. That game's going to be important. But if you look at Michigan State and Ohio State, the schedule that remains for both of those teams, there is a chance that those two could cannibalize each other, or at least other teams in the Big Ten could cannibalize each other and, and create another loss for one of them. So uh, I think there's so much that could happen down the road that Alabama is probably watching that group to see where they're ranked initially because it, it could impact them later on in the season. 
with Cincinnati, Tom, is this kind of a broader litmus test in that you have a, you know, G5 program, you have a program that has a win at Notre Dame, top 10 Notre Dame. If, if they're ranked in the playoff poll uh, in the top four and, and stay there, does it prove that, hey, if you have a big non-conference win to go along with a undefeated record, you can, with the current model, play for a national championship? I think so, and and given what I you know I, I know the committee says they don't they're only looking at this season and they're only looking at what's happening this year. But I with Cincinnati, you, you have to think that they're factoring in what Cincinnati has done the past few seasons because it, they, they've put up big numbers. They they've put together some solid seasons, and now they're undefeated. And like you said, they have a win at Notre Dame. They have a win at Indiana as well, a Big Ten team. So they, they have some really good wins. And, and I think for me, when I look at this stuff, the initial rankings, if, if, they're, if they're ranked number two in these initial rankings, I think the, the committee has to be saying, at least in my opinion, they have to be saying if Cincinnati's at number two right now, it, it, it kind of locks them in. If Cincinnati goes undefeated the rest of the way, it kind of locks the committee in to keeping them in the top four, because if, if they go undefeated, you can't really knock them back out of the top four after initially putting them in uh, in this group, right? Because they hadn't done anything wrong. They've won out in the schedule. So if, if they're number two, I think that bodes well for Cincinnati uh, for the final rankings to say, hey, you guys, you guys deserve it. You're undefeated and you're in. I think you make a great point when you talk about Cincinnati being ranked number two and they, they just trust in what they've done this season, but – don't we still got to got to see it to believe it? Because the thing about the college football playoffs is you got the usual suspects of the Georgias, of the Alabamas, and then you're going to have, you know, the Oklahomas and Ohio States get a chance to potentially play themselves in. But doesn't Cincinnati really represent the part of college football that the college football playoff committee is supposed to be looking out for? Because they always going to have a harder because they don't got the national intrigue and they got to play teams like Notre Dame to even get any type of attention. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think everybody, the, at least the fans want, it seems like this year especially more than ever, the fans want more parity, right? We've seen, we've seen the, the same four teams every single year. It's been Alabama, it's been Clemson, it's Ohio State, Georgia's been in there, Oklahoma's been in there. And I think, I think for, for college football fans, it, it's nice to see somebody else having a shot. I mean, and even some of these Big Ten teams, Michigan State, uh, I, I think that's what, what a lot of college football fans want to see. Now, now, what you're saying, the national attention and the national audience, is that going to bring the most money to, to the college football playoff? Probably not. But we've seen so much chaos this year that I, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a ton of fun watching this season because we've seen so many ranked losses. We've seen so many games where we've gone into them, this Michigan-Michigan State game this past weekend, we've gone into these games saying, I don't know who's going to win this game. I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. And we watch and find out. I, I've had a blast watching it, and and quite frankly, seeing Cincinnati if they come out at number two in this rankings, I I, I think it's a good thing for the sport, and I think the fans are probably going to think the same way. Tom Van Heeren joining us here on Three and Out, and we talk about resumes. Tom, who is a team that you feel is going to be on the outside of that top four that has the best chance to play themselves in? Yeah, I, I mentioned Ohio State before with that one loss to Oregon. I, I think they're they're probably on the outside right now, and and like I said before, I, I think it's a different team than we saw in the beginning of the season than that loss at Oregon. If, if Oregon and Ohio State were to play right now, I think Ohio State wins. Um, the the offense, a crowded quarterback, has become more comfortable. 
Uh, they're putting up uh, ridiculous numbers on offense, but most importantly, the defense is getting better. They had struggles early on in the season, and that defense is getting better. I, I still think, if you were to make me choose, I still think Ohio State probably wins the Big Ten. So that conference especially, there is so much left in these next four games that could happen, and I think Ohio State is probably the one, maybe on the outside right now, but they've got a chance to play their way in. Assuming we see Georgia at number one, uh, it, would it be a foregone conclusion that if Georgia were to win out in the regular season and let's say lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, that they would still maintain a spot in the top four in that scenario and advance to the playoff? Yeah, I, I think so. Given what, what I just mentioned, that there's so much chaos this year, that we've seen so many, so many losses um, among ranked teams because if you go down the list right now in the AP poll, Georgia's undefeated, Cincinnati's undefeated, but then you've got Alabama has one loss, Ohio State, Oregon, Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma State, they all have one loss. There, there's really within the top ten, I think there's only three, there's only four or five teams that, that are undefeated right now. So uh, a loss to, of that caliber um, to a team like Alabama that late in the season, going through what Georgia has already gone through, I, I think they still make it in. I mean, it, it, I mean even sticking with the, uh, all the teams that's already got losses, a team like Wake Forest is not going to benefit from a down ACC this year. But how crazy do you think no, this month of November could be if some of these teams at the top start, uh, start losing? Yeah, it could get, it could get wild. It could get real wild. Like I said, the, the Big Ten, I think, is the, is the – I know I keep focusing on them, but I think that's the one that could be the, the craziest because Ohio State and Michigan have to play. Ohio State and Michigan State have to play. Penn State and Michigan have to play. Uh, some of the best teams in the conference in these next four are going to play each other, and that we could see multiple losses for some of these teams that could knock them out of the playoff picture altogether. Um, and then, like you guys mentioned – you know, with Georgia and Alabama, if they play in the SEC championship game and Georgia wins that game, now Alabama's got two conference losses. They have two losses. What happens to them? Are they out altogether? Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's, there's just a ton that, that is still left that we could see happen that could shake things up, and, and we, we don't really know what the final result's going to look like, which, again, I think is a good thing for the sport. Tom Van and our guest here on 3 and Out. Tom, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. See ya. Appreciate it, and we'll see what the committee does with that uh, that first playoff ranking uh, when it comes out here a little bit later tonight. And BJ, uh, Ben, and I talked about this yesterday on the show, and Tom talked about Cincinnati possibly being uh, there at, at number two. I actually think, for the reasons Tom said, Cincinnati's not going to be number two. I actually had them down at three. Easier to slide them out as the weeks go on than to put them at, uh, at number two. And I, I tend to to agree with Ben. I'll believe it with a non-P5 school when I see it. If there's an opportunity to slide Cincinnati out, I think they will and come up with some excuse of, well, you know, they're playing better competition last two, three weeks uh, of the season than Cincinnati is, and thusly, they jumped over a team that uh, hasn't lost games. Again, I I just don't think if they win out, they're, they're going to make it. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I don't believe it yet. To Tom's point, though, if Cincinnati comes in at number two tonight, that's a really hard explanation to come up with. If they're at two, keep winning, go undefeated, and then you move them out of the top four, I don't know how you explain that if that happens. I'm just saying, BJ, I mean, I, I, 
I always go back to, you know, I mean, last year, you know what, it was Coast Carolina. This year, it's Cincinnati. All they can control is their resumes, and we start trying to put too much on these outliers uh, to say, well, who do they play and how do they play them? We will see if, listen, this is the first one. When the last one comes out, if Cincinnati goes undefeated and they're in it, I will, I will prove, once again, I will go to the oven and pull out another humble pie. I have gotten used to eating them a lot this year, but I got to see it to believe it because I think it's just too many too many outside factors that they cannot control. One being, they don't have that national appeal, but I have been proven wrong before. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out on this Tuesday afternoon. Game 6 coming up tonight. What do we expect to see out of Max Freed? Getting the call this evening for Atlanta. We'll break that down. Doc Herbert will join us in about 20 minutes talking about game six as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out. We'll talk about game six in just a minute. We'll also hear from Doc Herbert, Platinum Sombrero Podcast coming up in just a little bit, talking about game six with him. But uh, guys, officially uh, put out there by Georgia Southern, Clay Helton, and they apparently already have a Twitter account for him at GS Coach Helton. He is the head coach at uh, at Georgia Southern, uh, named officially here uh, this afternoon. Also, per Pete Thamel, uh, reports are the deal is a five-year deal, roughly 800000 on uh, average per year in that contract. So, a little bit more than what Georgia Southern was paying uh, Chad Lunsford, but a five-year, roughly $800,000 a year contract for Clay Helton, and that was made official by Georgia Southern within the last... 20, 30 minutes. Very impressive hire. Uh, I think a national statement made by Georgia Southern going out and getting, you know, the head coach who was just at Southern California, USC. Obviously, Coach Helton has uh, been the head coach of one of the most successful, prominent programs in the history of college football. And those expectations are, 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 are there in Statesboro. Georgia Southern wants to compete on a national level. Georgia Southern wants to win championships. And I think Coach Helton comes in knowing that, uh, had very successful stretches at Southern Cal. Maybe not the overall consistency uh, that the Trojans wanted, but very successful stretches, including a Pac-12 championship, three division titles, won the Rose Bowl in 2017, had Southern Cal in the national top 25. So I think when you go recruit and Coach Elton introduces himself, I think recruits, their families will know who he is, will know what he did at SC, even if it didn't end up the way he wanted, still had uh, national success at one of the top programs in all of college football, a name that that, that resonates. Uh, and I think he comes in with a goal of, of winning and winning right away. So I think a great job by Jared Binko and a statement hire by Georgia Southern. I mean, uh, give Jared Binko a lot of credit. I mean, when you talk about being able to place a guy in Coach Lanza, you, are, you always ask yourself, what direction – do you want this program to be going in? I mean, I know when you think about Georgia Southern, Kevin and BJ, you think about the offense. I definitely think Coach Helton going to bring in a different style of offense, going to bring in, you know, just just a different mentality. And I and I understand that coaching at Georgia Southern is going to be a lot of pressure when you look at who you, you know who used to be there before you and what you're trying to get to in a Sun Belt that's gotten very very competitive over the years with the addition, you know, of how well uh, Coach Carolina's playing with the usual suspects of App State and Louisiana, but. You know, give Jared Binko a lot of credit because everybody was thinking, where was Coach Hel- Helton gonna gonna go? When you talk, he was the first one to get let go. Then you talk about LSU. Then you talk about TCU. Then you talk about UConn. Then you talk about all these other coaches that's that's no longer there. No one thought that he was gonna be coming to Georgia Southern. But sometimes, you know, you elevate your brand by adding a brand ambassador like Coach Helton. Like, look, I mean, you, I, I mean, he's a he's a Southern guy. 
what, Gainesville, his dad went to Florida, he went to Auburn, ended up in Houston, coached at, coached at Memphis. So he understands how to go out there and recruit. Because make no mistake about it, recruiting is the name of the game. So how much better of a program can you be by not limiting yourself with going out there? If I'm looking for a player to fit my offense, compared to I got, I got my pick of the litter. Guy's going to want to come uh, to Statesboro now. So uh, great job by Jared Bingo going out there and getting the guy. It's it's important to get the guy you coveted, not the guy who just not the guy you just want. I mean, I keep going back to the Tennessee situation, Kevin and BJ. I don't know where Coach Pruitt was down the line, but I know he wasn't in the top ten <laughs> in the Rolodex. He was the guy to end up saying, "Yeah, you want to get the guy who wants to be there, who wants to compete." And like some you said, Kevin, the, the listen, the best uh, the best G five conference, hands down, it's the Sun Belt. And you look at the, and you look at the coaches that's already there. You adding a guy like Coach Helton, Sun Belt Media Days is going to be lit, ladies and gentlemen. And dare I say, Georgia Southern, they're gonna have to be, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to be on that crash course because patience is not the name of the game when it comes to these new coaches. Yeah, so we'll certainly have more throughout the week as we get closer to a press conference here uh, in Statesboro. But we look ahead to Game Six tonight in the World Series. We'll chat with Doc Herbert, Platinum Sabrero podcast coming up in just a little bit. But Max Fried goes tonight. Ozzy Albies has been dropped down in the lineup to, to seventh in the order. You've got Solaire in the two spot, Freddie Freeman behind him, Austin Riley. But it starts there on the mound. Last time out, uh, Max Free went five innings, seven hits, six earned runs. That was nearly a week ago. That was last Wednesday. So he's had a lot of time off to think, readjust, get himself back. What are your expectations, BJ and Ben, for Max Free tonight in game six? I think to put the Braves in a position to win a championship, uh, I think he's he's the ace. He's your guy, especially now with Charlie Morton out, and he's on the mound with a chance to win the World Series. I know it's against the best offense in baseball. I know it's on the road. I know it's with you not having a great start your last time out. But still, these are the opportunities that dreams are made of, man. You have a chance to set the tone. You know, I doubt he goes nine innings, but you have a chance to set the tone for whatever – you know, bullpen uh, arrangement follows you. I think in an ideal world, it would be Jackson, Matzik, Smith, seven, eight, nine, if you could get through six. But you have a chance to lead the Braves to a World Series championship. And I think Max has earned that. I think as good as he's been throughout his career. Not, not the Max that uh, we expect to see tonight the last time out, but I, he knows what not to do. I mean, and, and, and folks may laugh at that, but I think sometimes you can, you can learn from struggles. Sometimes you can learn from being on the big stage and it not going the way you want. And it's not like, and Kevin, you've made this point, but it's not like he just was, 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 was getting, you know, get, giving up long hits, home run. It was, it was a, a single that made it into the outfield. It was, uh, you know, beating the shift. He, he wasn't getting crushed at the plate. He, w- he was getting beat at the plate, and I think that's where the adjustments have to come. You understand your defensive alignment and pitch accordingly. You have to, if one hit kind of finds its way out there, you have to turn it up a notch and not let one hit turn into two runs, three runs. And I think Max is certainly capable of that. But to me, it's about being aggressive. Uh, when 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 Max Freed is kind of dictating tempo and gets the batter, and maybe that means you know an early an early getting ahead in the count, right? Oh one, one two, and then you have that curveball that you can sort of try to try to get the edges with. And you do that with a couple of pitches still remaining uh, without having to walk somebody. I think that's where Max can keep guys off balance, can keep guys guessing. Uh, But I think uh, strikes early in counts, get ahead in counts, and avoid the big inning. And I think Max Freed will put the Braves in a position to win the World Series 
tonight in Houston. Be confident. Be poised. Also be aggressive. And like you said, uh, you know, uh, you know, BJ, throw strikes. Get, just listen, get get that first out and just let and just let the game come to you. Trust, trust you listen, trust those guys behind you. You got incredible defense behind you. You got a lineup that's hopefully gonna give you some runs so that you can play with a lead, play with a cushion. But man, and go for yourself in this moment. You you Max Fried is getting to do something. I mean, Max Fried is getting to do something, Kevin, that like I said, every every pitcher dreams of. It's game six of the World Series. Hey, Max, what? Take us there. Most guys will not get that. So I, I just think that sometimes we get so caught up in the moment that you don't get a chance to enjoy the moment. And I think about how many guys have you know, played in big moments that were so caught up in it that they couldn't be themselves. The biggest thing with Max Free, let your instincts take over. That's when you are at your best in any sport, definitely as a pitcher. Throw strikes, trust that curveball, trust that defense behind you, but be yourself on that mound. You don't got to be perfect. You just got to make sure that when you when you do leave the game, that the Braves are in a position to, you know, when you listen, listen. I mean, when you got to go to the night shift. Oh my God, make sure make sure you get those guys something to work for. But I I, I trust Max tonight. Yeah, we will ask Doc Herbert his thoughts on Max Fried and more game six coming up in just a little while, less than three hours away from first pitch. It's three and out on the Southern Picks. Have you here three and out on this Tuesday? Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Game six coming tonight. Braves with a chance to finish it up here in Houston. Joining us from the Platinum Sobrero podcast, Doc Herbert joins us. Doc, welcome. I'll ask you a question we just asked everyone here on the show. What is your expectation for Max Freed tonight after five innings, seven hits, six earned runs, his last go-round in Houston? My expectation for Max Freed is actually that he's going to come back out and be a much better version uh, of himself than he was for uh, both the last time he pitched against Houston as well as that last game against L.A. If you look at the trouble inning that he had, it was the second, and it was five consecutive singles, all of which were under the 95-mile-per-hour exit velocity threshold, which qualifies as hard hit. So basically he had four consecutive bloops and bleeders and doinks that just found their found their way uh onto the ground. So, and even one of those was uh, there was an the error on Rosario and there was also the shift that was on uh, the hit that Guriel got. So it was, it looked really frustrating and it was because it just, there was no indication that they really had his number. It was like the Astros kept getting lucky uh, at bat after at bat. And then you can even see after the third inning or so, when he retired 10 straight batters, he really seemed dialed in. So to me, I think he figured out kind of what he was doing uh, from the L.A. start and just had some bad luck in the Houston start. For me, I'm looking at six strong innings from Max with less than three earned runs. You go back to to game five, and early on you get the grand slam from Adam Duvall, and I think a lot of people in Braves country looked around and said, okay, we now have a four-run lead in the game prior. Houston barely got, got a hit. You almost had a complete team no uh, no hitter, and and then Houston outscores you nine to one to you know to uh, finish up game five. Now you're back in Houston. Do you believe that momentum carries over game to game, or in a series like this, does it kind of reset every time you start over and uh, play a new game? I think that there's a a lot more of a reset than fans give it credit for. I know that a team like the Astros, um, they're scary. You know, they've been there before. They've made the ALCS, what, five straight years, and in three of those, they, they made it to the World Series. I mean, they're, they're a really good team, but I also, there's that old Earl Weaver quote that momentum is only as good as your following day starting pitcher. And I think that's part of why the Braves faltered in Game 5, and I think it's why you could see the Astros falter in Game 6. 
Luis Garcia is a fine pitcher, but it's also the first time he's pitching on short rest in the entire playoffs. Not only that, but he's used to pitching on extra rest. So I, I really was uh, surprised to see Dusty Baker run out Jose Urquidy uh, during Game 5 because I feel like he was the logical start for Game 6. So now, even if there is any momentum, you know, I, I think, sure, you can make the case, but I think that it's much more of a fan creation, especially an Atlanta fan creation in a situation like this because we're still stinging from 3-1 three to, three to one up against L.A., last year and in the Atlanta sports uh, situation, we'll call it, you know, I think that that um, if things go wrong, it's an easy thing to say, Oh, you can feel the momentum shift when in reality, it's just two really good teams playing each other. And a game like baseball, there's so there's a bajillion outcomes that could happen. Momentum is kind of an illusion sometimes. And doc was so much made about, you know, game six and rifle and so with the Braves trying to, you know, get back, you know, get back to a, a world series title, something they haven't done in a long time. How much, could this come down to late-game heroics? Both of these teams have a never-say-die mentality. When you think about Houston as well as the Braves, how much we talk about the bullpens, how much is it going to come down to who's just going to have the better lineup to the best stand hot in these latter innings? No, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you see uh, how the Braves have done it multiple times over the, the past couple series. You saw the seventh inning in game three, I think, with the back-to-back uh, home runs for Swanson and Solaire, or maybe, maybe that was game four. Um, you know, you saw the, the two consecutive walk-offs against the Dodgers. The Braves have been doing it for years. They never quit the snip thing. But that's such a great point you bring up about Houston, too. Uh, they, they have it in their DNA. It's like an entire team full of Jock Petersons, guys that have spent their entire career in the playoffs. They've been in the big moments before. It's not something that's going to really jack their heart rate up. So I think that it's, it's just as likely that you could, you could have a, an Astros walk-off as you could the Braves having some late-inning heroics doing something in the ninth to, to take a lead or something like that. These two teams, the, the more time that the Braves spend in the playoffs, they're starting to approach. Um, it'll take a few years before they're able to reach the Astros' level of experience. But they're pretty hardened around the, the edges, too. They've been in the playoffs four consecutive years. So they get a lot of experience, and they're getting better at slowing their heart rates down, too. I would not be surprised to see this game be decided in the last two innings tonight. Doc Herbert Platinum Sombrero podcast uh, joining us. Uh, Snickers made some moves uh, this series. Obviously, two rookie pitchers in game four and game five got the start tonight. You go with Max Fried, but you move uh, Ozzy Albies down in the lineup for, I think, obvious reasons. But how do you think uh, the, the Braves fare with this approach uh, to the ball game tonight where you start off with, you know, you move up Solaire into the two spot and you get Rosario, Solaire, Freeman, and Riley, and you move Albies all the way down to the seven spot? I think it's great. I, I do love the fact that Solaire and Rosario are both up top in front of Freddie. Uh, they've both been really good on base guys. And somebody like Freddie, you know that when he's got guys on, he's one of the best in the game. So that sets you up really strong, one, two, three, and Austin Riley's resurgence this year. Um, the one through four is just rock solid. With Ozzy moving him down, you had to do it, but it's, it could be similar to what you saw with Bregman the other night. It's just that reset of, okay, we're going to pull you out of this. We're going to put you – we're going to completely change the architecture right here. And it can just be like a soft reset. So now – you know, he's between Jock and Darno. Um, I, think, I think that's really good. So uh, it takes the pressure off of him. He gets less at bats. And, and also it kind of gives him a chance to kind of set the table for the bottom of the lineup. Darno has had some big moments in the series. And even though the results haven't always been there, Dansby, who's hitting ninth, has really hit the ball hard this series. 
and he had that uh, miraculous moment uh, the other night. So I love it. I love the positioning, and it had to happen. Who is the one guy Atlanta can't let beat them tonight? If it is a close game, comes down to the final innings, who do you have to avoid, so to speak, in that Houston lineup? Believe it or not, it's Alex Bregman for me because he struggled so much. He's, he was such a stalwart in the playoffs for years, and similar to Avi, he was batting third, could not hit, moved down in the lineup, identified a couple things that, uh, that were really he was struggling with. You saw immediate results out of him the other night. And so if you look at his playoff line, he's probably hitting, I don't know, 176 or something, and he's the most dangerous guy on that field because now he's hungry and he's looking to prove it. So, yes, I want nothing to do with Bregman right now. Their moments uh, throughout this World Series. I mean, Rosario, Dansby Swanson, Solaire. Is this a game just tailor made for Freddie Freeman? You already know what he's going to give you at uh, at first base, but I mean, is it time for Freddie Freeman to show the world if he hasn't already done it that he's built for this moment? Oh God, what a question! You know, he had he kind of had that seminal playoff moment against the Brewers that uh, not quite walk off against Hater to clinch that series. So you know, he, he's got it in the blood. Um, and he's still hitting well. You know, he's he this postseason he has consistently with that that eight at bat stretch at the beginning of the NLCS notwithstanding, he has hit exactly like Freddie Freeman does. He's hitting over three hundred with adequate power, and uh, and he's driving in runs left and right. So, yeah, do, do we go ahead and say that Freddie's gonna gonna hit the go go ahead hit in the ninth inning tonight? Might as well. Why not? Be the hero, right? I mean, there we go. There we go. Let's... I mean, it, it's so, it seems like in the World Series sometimes you get the uh, the, the random heroes uh, out there, and it's, I believe everybody but uh, Albies and Riley and Jock Peterson from the guys that play pretty much regularly have hit a home run uh, in this series. But uh, you mentioned the pitching and, and getting to the back end of that bullpen, and what's now been dubbed the night shift has been been so, so good. That, that's got to be the formula, right? Just get me to turn it over to Jackson, Maxick, and Will Smith. And if you get beat at that point, you get beat. They've been so good. Yeah, and the, the good news is, and I, I know this is, this is Atlanta sports, so this is not exactly a consolation. There is a little bit of wiggle room today. The Astros have to be perfect. We do not necessarily have to be perfect. So if things don't go well today, then there is always tomorrow. But, yeah, that's the formula. You hope for six from Max. You get one inning out of, uh, out of Jackson, one out of Matzik, one out of Smith. Maybe if you pitch Mentor, you saw how good he was in game one, and he really struggled night before last. Um, if you're seeing, like, the Jesse Chavez here of relievers, things have probably gone wrong tonight. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the goal is you can knock this out with four pitchers, Freed, Jackson, Matzik, and Smith, and hopefully the last pitch of the night that Will Smith throws is going to be a lot of celebrating. By, by the Braves after that. Just how, how unbelievable is this? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of kind of rising angst just because of what happened in game five, but you have you have two games. If the Braves win one, they're World Series champions, obviously. Ronald Acuna's injury, I think most of us looked around and said there's no way. There's just no way they can make a run. And yet here the team is on the verge of beating kind of the, you know, the modern standard, so to speak, uh, just how incredible has, has this season and this run, the second half especially, been to this point? Sometimes it does seem like there are just bigger things at play. And, you know, when Phil Necro died and Don Sutton died, it was like, man, those are, those are really big losses, and they are. 
But when Hank Aaron died, it was like, all right, there's going to be a real, almost unspoken initiative to do this for Hank, you know? And it was so hard to see during the season. And especially, you know, with all of just the little injuries, like Ozuna before that thing happened, and then Darno with his thumb, and then Noah breaking his hand, and we had a million injuries, and it looked like things were just going sideways, and then Acuna got hurt. Ironically, Braves won that game, and that day they were 44-44, and 44, which you know the, the importance of the number 44. And then they went on that absolutely tremendous run, and with relative ease they have made this run. Now, I am not a religious person. I am not a, trying to say that, that, that Hank Aaron is like the puppet master in heaven right now, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you could not script this any better in any other year. You know what I mean? Like, for me, there is something that is much deeper at play than just the Braves playing baseball right now. So, I don't know. To me, I look at it, and the season has been, especially since the trade deadline, the season has been so amazing over the past three months that you can almost make the case that even if they were to blow the 3-1 leads and the season was still a success. Um, so, and that, that really says a lot right there. So, what an unbelievable run by this team. I don't know what's going to happen. I have a good feeling about what's going to happen, but just how, how strange that of all of the years, you know, it wouldn't have been 2020, the Marcelo Zuna team, wouldn't have been 2019, the Josh Donaldson team, wouldn't have been any of those. It had to be, it had to be the team where we had Pablo Sandoval and Nate Jones and all of these guys on the opening day roster. Just baseball is the greatest for this very reason. Yeah, it's amazing, and the Braves will try to close out tonight. And I'm with you, Doc. Feel confident about where the Braves sit at this point in Houston. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Doc Herbert Platinum, Sabrero Podcast, our guest here on 3 and Out. We'll come back, get you ready for Game 6 coming your way. We'll have coverage starting at 7 p.m. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Game 6 coming up tonight, 7 o'clock. We'll have pregame coverage, first pitch just after 8 o'clock. Maybe this time tomorrow we're talking about a Braves World Series or we'll be talking about Game 7. Either way, a lot of excitement there around the Braves. Final uh, kind of heat check with you guys. How you feeling? I feel confident uh, in what the Braves have. Go out and play well, Bats. You're, you're sending what you have, your best two guys, to start the next couple of nights. And the guys that matter should be well-rested in the back end of that bullpen. I feel good because you feel good. I don't feel good like with my own kind of uh, thoughts about the game and momentum and all this and that, but because you feel good, I feel good. <laughs> Let's get it done. We don't need a game seven. Game seven, nope. Let's go ahead and get it done tonight. Can can you guys stay awake? Can we all stay awake till the end of this thing tonight? When you when you say when you say stay awake, do you mean like still coherently can understand things? If <laughs> somebody asks me a question, are you saying I'm in a deep sleep? No, nope, I will say this. Curses, I don't believe in like like Kevin say. I believe you get to exercise a lot of demons and look. Snit, Alex Anthopoulos, Freddie Freeman, a lot of guys have really, really like scratched and clawed to get to this point. Braves go out there and get it done. Max Freed on the mound with uh, you know, uh, with the night shift coming. Kevin, I'm looking forward to it. It's not gonna be an easy one, but Kevin Thomas will be going streaking if they win this. No, I'm thing. not gonna be no, no. That, that nobody wants to see that whether the Braves win or not. Nobody wants to. See, I may wake my children up if, if they win, because that will be. I will be. There might be a scream Everybody or two. Everybody caroling at Kevin's house if, if the Braves win. There might be a scream or two let out if the Braves 
finish this thing uh, tonight and get the deal done. So, yeah, hopefully they get it done. Feel pretty good about what they're running out there and give them a good chance to go out there and uh, and try to get a win. I agree with you, BJ. Let's stay away from game seven. Let's get it done tonight. Johan Camargo is in for Ira Adrianza, who's on uh, paternity leave. So, who knows? Camargo might have his hero moment uh, potentially tonight. I know there's no pitcher hitting, so it would have to be some kind of strange situation. But you never know. In the World Series, we'll have full coverage uh, tonight starting at 7. First pitch just after 8, and we'll be talking about it either way tomorrow here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.